Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hello, this is Michael Adams, and it's nothing but the truth, one man's journey to find it. It is September the 16th, 2015. And uh, once again, we have another special guest. Uh, Our guest will be Mashu. Mashu, he's part of uh, thinkabaybeat.com. I believe, Mashu, if I'm not mistaken, you are the webmaster. Is that correct? Uh, The web guy? Yeah. Yeah. The web guy, there you go, the web guy, the webmaster. Um, and so I'm looking forward to this. I had a chance to finally talk with my shoe a couple of, uh, what a weekend I believe it was, or I can't remember now, time's flying, so a couple of days ago at least. Anyways, uh, we've had a couple of conversations, and he agreed, yeah, it was over the weekend, then we had a conversation last night, oh, Monday, I'm sorry. <laughs> And my head is spinning. My my apologies, everybody, uh, and to you, Mashu, but this move and everything is kind of ugh, taking it out of me. So, but anyways, um, Mashu was generous enough to actually put me on, uh, and let me be part of uh, thinkofrepeating.com and be in the company of others like uh, Keith Hansen and Gordon Comstock, and Eric the Blacksmith, and others. And I... I have no idea why, but I'm grateful and I'm undeserving. I'm definitely unworthy of being part of it, but he felt so, and I, I appreciate that, and I appreciate all those who agreed with you, Mashu, to allow me to be part of it, be supportive. I, I have been enjoying the interviews and the fellowship with Keith and Gordo and Eric, and now you. So, and it's real. It's a real blessing to me. It's nice to just know that there's other people out there besides myself. <laughs> and that I, I, they relate with me and I relate with them. So it's really quite generous of you once again. So anyway, it should be a very interesting conversation, folks. We're going to talk about... We, we agreed that we would talk about at least one subject, that would be the cult of Saturn, but we also agreed that we had the flexibility and freedom to go wherever this conversation shall take us. And I sometimes think that is the best way of going about it, especially when it's your first time getting together on air and having a conversation. Sometimes it's just good to get to know each other a little bit and let it, um, let people know you, Mishu, because really nobody knows about you. And yet, clearly you are a very interesting gentleman. So, But before we start, we'll look at the headlines from Yahoo.com. We do know that uh, now it's going to be, what, nine days? Um, nine or eight days? Seven days? How many is it now? It's the 23rd. Next week, it's the biblical, historic, prophetic Antichrist, the false prophet, the image of the beast himself, the head of the uh, the, the papacy, 
the Jesuit Pope Francis will come to our shores and for the first time ever have a joint session of his Congress and Senate along with a visit to his and theirs being the Jesuits White House named after a Jesuit priest and then of course then going to his New World Order's government the UN a United Nations under this Saturnalian cult that he represents to dictate our lives. What does it say here? Pope warns churches to take in refugees or else courts non hosted, non hosted. Anyways, name of the site. It says here uh, Pope Francis has issued a stark warning to Roman Catholic and religious orders help alleviate the escalating refugee crisis in Europe by hosting asylum seekers or pay taxes. Really? Didn't know that the... Or did you know? Makes no sense to me now, but that the Pope would say something like either help asylum seekers or pay taxes? Didn't know the Pope had the power and authority to tell other countries outside of the Vatican whether they have to help asylum seekers or they'll pay taxes. Think about that one. Okay. I imagine as time goes on and we get closer to this visit to be more and more about Pope Francis. Popular Pope Francis has arrived, ruffled U.S. Catholic Church, Associated Press, New York, AP, Pope Francis, favorability, rating, and surveys in U.S. Catholics in all Americans has fluctuated in his two-year papacy, etc., etc. Let's see. What the heck's that? Obama invites students arrested over homemade clock to White House, whatever. Watch out. So I hope he has guardians as a 14-year-old boy. Be careful. And Catholic Church, Leap of Faith, ft.com. Mrs. Bahoric believes audiences will be even stronger after Pope Francis' impending visit, or excuse me, trip to U.S. encourages lapsed Catholics to return to the church. This month, the 78-year-old Argentinian pontiff took two steps that were, quote, or continue, if you want to, in that quote. I don't want to. Financial Times. And let's see if there's anything, one more thing. A lot of things of the pop media. Pope Francis had, had a master coffee taster make him a special blend for his U.S. tour. Eater.com. Why do you Why do you ask? Have I just done that? Well, you want to ask? I, I ask you. Why is this one particular figure and this one particular organization always dominating the headlines? Something to think about. So, thank you for entertaining that, my shoe. 
and once again, thank you for joining me. Um, I, I realize you do not have to do this, and so it really is a privilege and honor on my part. So the first question I'd like to ask you, Mashu, is uh, what got you involved with uh, thinkerbeebeaten.com in the first place? Uh, I'd like to give you a couple of inflections upon uh, what you just read. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Go. Go ahead. Yes. First thing is, is Papa Frank going to kiss the ground when he gets off the plane and, and, and signify that this is his domain? doesn't have to. It's already been done by another pope. Yeah, but, so what, what is done yeah. by one pope is it's, it's considered, uh, was it canon law or whatever they call it, something, uh, a papal bull or whatever. It's just it's legitimate. So, But he might. Yeah. And then the special blend, is it uh, made of a sacrificed child? <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing about that considering the man was under indictment for just that being involved with child sacrifices and human trafficking. Yeah. And he's a man of God, huh? The vicar of Christ. Sure he so, is. At least yeah. the false Christ, the false Messiah. <laughs> but not the true one, that's for sure. Right. I, I'm sorry. Could you uh, repeat your first question again, please? That's okay, man. It was just bombarding you a whole bunch of stuff, so... Um, yeah, so my first question is uh, concerning you getting involved with thinkablybeaten.com. How did you get involved? Why, why and how did you get involved with this project? Well, I I had been a uh, listener to the previous incarnation of Keith's website called uh, Visigoth Raw, and then uh, it fell under the, the umbrella of Thinker Be Eaten that was... Uh, uh, webmastered by Angie Rydell. And back in the middle of 2013, or actually April 2013, she had passed away unexpectedly. And what had happened with her passing was that her, uh, her heir to the legal rights of the website fell upon her cousin. And apparently, her cousin, uh, not knowing what Angie had done, or what, or what was, or what Angie was doing, uh, obviously did not uh, care for the message of the website because uh, she rebuffed uh, Keith's uh, offer to take over the website, you know, and run it from there, keeping the same name, and the cousin. Uh, did not respond to any of his inquiries and basically let the domain name die. Uh, with that being said, um, Keith didn't know this at the time that he happened to mention this to me, but I have my associate's degree in web programming that I had been doing nothing with uh, because I just didn't find the the correct the uh, right economic opportunity to take to go forward with that. So from that point, I I told Keith that I could webmaster the site for him. Uh, it would be taken in a new direction. Uh, he came up with the tagline "Thinker Be Beaten," and then basically the rest is from there. So we we started out with 
replicating the information that was on Thinker B eaten and as a as a uh, foundation stone and then uh, obviously added on to there with uh, the Olympic files that he kept doing with Gordon Comstock and Eric the Blacksmith. And then we also added in uh, previous material from his other incarnations, such as uh, the Grassy Knoll and Beyond the Grassy Knoll. Mm-hmm. So, well, I, for Red, well, this point. Uh, first of all, uh, I personally am very grateful that you have done, have been willing to do this uh, and help keep afloat uh, com. I personally think it's one of the most important websites out there, period. Um, clearly in the top five in my book, if not number one. Uh, it's the one website that I keep going back to myself. And uh, I find it a great irony that now you have allowed me to be part of it as well. So um, that's really cool. And I think that's just an amazing privilege on my part. Um, before we get any further, I just want to say, you know, Lloyd, uh, do you know who I'm talking about, first of all? Kelly, you know Lloyd? Oh, I think absolutely. You do. Yeah, yeah. So Lloyd sent me an email today, and he said, uh, um, said uh, I see Mashu will be on, too, and I will try and listen tonight. Uh, would you please consider mentioning the new edition of the T-O-B-B-T-V and the snip, snip, uh, Snippet to Consider, so it was in quotes, tab, that was recently added. So, uh, and I agree with Lloyd, maybe you could, uh, before we go any further, could you just explain a little bit about what he, Lloyd is talking about here? Sure. Uh, Bob TV is essentially uh, YouTube videos that I think uh, relate to the site's information and also the the intent behind the site. Uh, So obviously you're not going to find Justin Bieber or anything that has 32 million hits, you know, anything silly uh, like that. Um, Currently we have, you know, videos under energy uh, such as uh, the peak oil myth, and then we also have uh, under health. And this was this was uh, suggestions that were uh, brought forth by Eric the Blacksmith. And the the one that comes to mind is the video when healing becomes a crime, mm-hmm. and it's basically a video based on the Hoxley Clinic that was outlawed in the United States and had to move to Tijuana. <laughs> Tijuana, Mexico, to keep uh, practicing. And their cure rate, at least according to the information in the video, is quite substantially higher than that of conventional cancer treatments. Hey, Vashu, you're breaking up. I don't know, are you moving around or there's something going on there? We We know the first two calls we had, we didn't have a problem. Maybe if this continues, I will, might have to call you in. It just started happening this past 30 seconds. So, Okay. Well, I'll just recap it really quick, quickly. That's Under much the health better. Tab, much better. The, uh, the, 
the, probably the important video that we have up so far, is, and it's actually linked to YouTube, so we're not hosting any of these, um, is When Healing Becomes a Crime. And it's the story of the Hoxley Clinic that uh, was outlawed in the United States by the FDA and had to move to Tijuana, Mexico to uh, huh. keep, uh, keep open and helping people out. And the reason why is it does not follow the conventional medical guidelines uh, for treatment. And also, uh, it probably doesn't fall within the, the profit structure of, of uh, big pharma and big medicine because most of these, are, most of the Hoxley is, is mostly natural. And that kind of goes into the, uh, the homeopath uh, angle of medicine versus what's going on currently. So right. we, uh, we feature videos that, you know, offer an insight as to the, the conflict between uh, what the general public acknowledges as what's correct and truthful versus what actually is the truth, you know, so, so that's the purpose of the videos because obviously uh, videos also lend a, a different viewpoint as far as uh, people can watch a video and maybe glean something off of that versus reading or listening to an interview. Oh, yeah. So that's just so putting the, the uh, TV part of the section up. And then as far as the snippet to consider, Grab a drink here. Basically, it's a it's a question, and the question is, what does this profile fit? This is an excerpt of a book called Political uh, Ponerology, and it says the science on natural or nature of evil adjusted for political purposes. And basically, I'll just read it verbatim. Uh, it says, in the psychopath, the dream emerges like some utopia of a happy world and a social system which does not reject them or force them to submit to laws and customs whose meaning is comprehensible to them. They dream of a world in which their simple and radical way of experiencing and perceiving reality would dominate, where they would, of course, be assured of safety and prosperity. In this utopian dream, they imagine that those, quote, others, different but also technically skillful than they are, should be put to work to achieve their goal for the for the psychopaths and others of their kin. Uh, quote, we, they say, after all, will create a new government, one of justice. They are prepared to fight and suffer for the sake of such a such brave new world, and also, of course, to inflict suffering upon others. Such a vision justifies killing people whose suffering does not move them to compassion because they are not quite uh, conspecific. Uh, they do not realize that they will consequently meet with opposition which can last four generations. So basically it's a question of, you know, of what are you dealing with as far as the power structure is concerned in a, in a, in a sense of a clinical mental diagnosis. And as you're dealing with a psychopath. And I, I have definitely, on my show, played a couple of the, the videos from T, 
OBB TV. So I strongly recommend that anybody hears the show that you go to uh, thinkorbebeaten.com and check it out. I mean, your world is going to change. Your your perspective, your understanding of what the world really is all about will certainly change, and you'll have a clearer and better understanding of this world that you live in. So, which is interesting now because uh, <clears throat> talking about uh, this question, who does this profile fit, and looking at uh, at different elements of this uh, definition, it kind of leads kind of naturally in a way, to what we talked about in the past couple nights, don't you think, as far as uh, this cult of Saturn? Um, are you ready to go into that, or do you want to uh, talk about a few more things that are on your mind? Uh, no, we can go in right into that. I guess okay, the best way to, to do a, an intro to that, or at least to start out with that subject, would be to ask about the notion of uh, was the United States ever a quote-unquote Christian nation? And, you know, how it was set up, to, you know, was it set up to be a Christian nation to begin with? And obviously, you know, from my perspective and the website's perspective, uh, the answer is a big no. So we go into basically the original land patent for the plot of land that, that the capital sits on at this, on this very day. So I think that would probably be a good place to start. And I'll, I'll, I'm going to do some reading here, and then uh, we can kind of discuss. Uh, if you have any questions, we can we can throw those out and and talk about them. Okay. But anyways, this is from a blog that I did a few years ago. So anyways, so here we go. It says on May 13th. 1664, the colonial authorities of Maryland issued to Francis Pope a patent for Tiber Creek. Yeah, the Tiber Creek, which he named Rome. This tract fell within the lines of the present city of Washington. The capital is situated on or near. Or, uh, the capital is situated on or near it. Mr. Pope evidently had a desire to be the Pope of Rome on the Tiber. And this is from an, uh, the records of the American Catholic Historical Society of Philadelphia, Volume 22. So this is not a, a uh, conflicting sources, you know, from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And then uh, it goes on to a different source, uh, Volume 23 states, Francis Pope, the patentee of the 1663, uh, was quite a character in the early days of the province. Uh, being named Pope, he thought it would be fit in a humorous vein be called, uh, to call his farm Rome and the little stream that ran through it, Tiber. Then it goes on oh. to state previously. Oh, do you have something that you want to add? Or? No, there was just dead air. I just was hoping you were still on. So, okay. Oh, okay. Uh, then it goes on to state, previously, this Capitol Hill tract, embracing some 400 acres, which included much of the site of Washington City, was the property of one Francis Pope, a man of either a rollicking sense of humor or an immense opinion of his own importance for 
being a pope, he termed his domain Rome and rechristened the large Goose Creek, which flowed through it, the Tiber. A name it retained throughout the years until all visible traces of it were obliterated by the March of Progress. And basically that March of Progress was that they actually made a sewer out of it. They 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 paved over it and, and turned that, that, that Tiber Creek into a sewer. So, <laughs> anyways. It's very symbolic, so, don't you think? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, kind of like the, the, the show that used to be on the History Channel, Cities of the Underworld. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but that that was a pretty interesting show, you know, that, right. where the host would actually go into the subterranean uh, uh, catacombs of these cities that people were, you know, doing their business above, ground walking, driving their cars, and then, you know, he was going below and, uh, checking out all these interesting things, so kind of this kind of a similar vein. Let's see. So basically, I think that kind of lays the, the, the first brick or the first foundation that uh, the the capital known that we know of today, who was not what we were told as it was as a uh, Protestant you know, uh, foundation for Protestantism, you know, getting away from the Catholic Church. I think it was quite the uh, quite the reverse, but, you know, we were told differently. Uh, let's see here. So we have that to consider. Now, if we go into, uh, let's see, the important word in this whole next passage is Capital Line Hill. I'm going to read this passage real quick. Uh, 127 years before George Washington selected the site of the federal city, several pioneer Catholics of Maryland had acquired title to the portion on which that splendid group of buildings, the United States Capitol, and its adjacent offices and the Library of Congress now stands. When the commissioners appointed by President Washington purchased the American Capital Line Hill, and that's the word we're going to you know, focus on next, is it formed part of the domain of the CERN Abbey Manor, and under this historic Catholic appellation, it is engraved on the earliest maps of the District of Columbia. A massive evidence is now able to prove that the Catholic ownership of this property from 1668, when the first entry concerning it appeared in the provincial records of Maryland, until 1790, when it became part of the national capital. So, obviously, you have a continuous ownership, as stated in that paragraph. And to me, that just kind of cements the idea that, okay, from what we know from uh, James Montgomery and the Informer about the, the Vatican's uh, dealings within uh, the, the New World through Britain, that this was going to be the landing spot for the corporation that we now know as the United States. So there we go. From there we go to the phrase Capitoline Hill. And let's see here.
I'm going to read a passage on the original plan uh, Lafont had written Congress House, where he placed the National Legislature on Jenkins Hill, and that was the na original name of the hill before it became Capitol Hill. Uh, Jefferson, meaning Thomas Jefferson, crossed out those words and wrote Capitol instead. Taken for granted today, Jefferson's innovative name self-consciously invoked the famous temple of Jupiter Optimus Maximus on the Capitoline Hill in which ancient Rome and by the extension claimed for the infant United States the, the uh, orrery mantle of the Roman Republic with its political freedoms precedent of popular government. Which, and that was a quote from a book uh, by Fergus Bordowich entitled uh, Washington. Uh, obviously, the the author is under the mis under the representation that everything was rosy in Rome. You know, it may have started out that way, you know, but it went down the wrong path in a in a real big hurry. But uh, I, I find it interesting that the the, tra the translation from the Roman to the New World carried over all that distance. That if the founding fathers were avoiding wanting to avoid persecution, why would you bring a persecutor's label with you and, and put it on the new land? Do you have a, an opinion on that? Hello? Sorry about that. I had it on mute. <laughs> I was just to give you a... I don't want the back room, so... Yeah, oh yeah, I have a, a very strong opinion about that. <laughs> My apologies for that. Um, first of all, yeah, I mean, it's logically... It, well, yeah, let's, we look at the Washington, D.C. Originally was Rome, Maryland. We talked about Pope and how he was a you know, landowner. If we look at the fact that, um, that in reality we live in a corporation that um, somebody had to finance the settling of uh, the New World, the only people who had any money were, were the papacy and the crown and the nobility. Um, so certainly they would have be the major stakeholders in all this, and they would, in the end, dictate the terms of uh, what's what we call the United States of America would be its destiny. And uh, that's just a brutal reality. And it, what's really is, you know, when you look at the history of Canada and the rest of the West, what we call the Western Hemisphere, uh, it's the same story over and over again. So to assume that somehow we were somehow different than all the rest, it quite frankly is quite arrogant and quite uh, erroneous and demonstrates really a willingness to be blind to what really did happen. It, uh, we, our faith in statism or the state of the United States of America seems to override reality. And uh, 
along with that, then you look at the fact that because we have a received a Jesuit education, all of us, whether public school or higher, and private schools, that uh, they have removed our true history, and that there are um, surely there were uh, Protestants and uh, Bible believing and God fearing people that came to this country, but uh, they weren't the ones that were calling the shots, and that's just the brutal reality. It makes a lot of sense once you put the pieces together. And um, the, my biggest thing about that is, and what infuriates me, is why you and I and everybody else were lied to about that. Well, we're gonna we're gonna get to that. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. gonna get that that in short order. That's yeah. So, anyways, um, so. So we have the term Capitol Hill, otherwise known as Capitol Line Hill in Rome. So we're going to kind of trace back forward to uh, Rome and, and find out a little bit more about what Capitol Line Hill means. Uh, Capitol Line Hill. Uh, this is from a book called Familiar Illusions, a handbook on miscellaneous information, which is kind of ironic. Anyways, the title of that book is... Uh, Capitoline Hill, Latin, is Mons Capitolinus, uh, one of the original seven hills of Rome in, in uh, ancient Rome, immediately contiguous to the Forum and still bearing the same name. And just as a, a quick sidebar, there's also seven hills in D.C. Uh, going forward, the Church of Eracoli, is supposed to mark the site of the Temple of Jupiter Capitolinus, which formerly stood upon the summit. There is a depression called the uh, Intermontium upon the top of the hill, forming two heights upon the summit of one of which the Temple of Jupiter Capitolinus is thought to be have stood, and upon the summit of the other, the Arx uh, Capitoli. Upon the latter mount is placed the temple which Romulus is said to have built and have uh, dedicated to Jupiter uh, Feridus. The hill was originally called Mons Saturnius, and this is the, the key, uh, key term here, and afterwards, or certainly the whole of one side of it, uh, Mons Tarpeia, for who, uh, I'm sorry, for her, her who, during the war with the Sabines, longing for the golden bracelets of the enemy and allured the promise of receiving uh, that which they wore upon their arms, treacherously opened the fortress to the Sabines and was rewarded by being crushed by the shields from which they threw upon her in passing. Uh, in the lastly received name of Mons Capitolinus, or Capitol, uh, Capitolium, uh, because in digging the foundations for the Temple of Jupiter, uh, Capitolinus, a bloody human head was found, which the augurs declared to be the omen that Rome was destined to become the head of Italy. Uh, the famous Tarpeian rock was also upon the side of the uh, intermentium through its, through its exact situation is not definitely, definitely determined. Uh, so the key word in that whole rambling there is Mons Saturnius. And how do you how do you how do you spell that? It's M O N S, and then Saturnius is S A T U R N I U S. 
Interesting. Mons Saturnius. What is the Mons part? You know? Uh, I, honestly, I couldn't tell you. Well, I will look that up when we're talking about it. How's that? <laughs> yeah. And so, basically, the capital comes from, this is from a, uh, a encyclopedia called the United States Congressional Set, Serial Set. It says, capital comes from Kaput, the head, and the capital line hill, the smallest of the seven hills of Rome, was at the same time a very conspicuous landmark in the city. Other cities and heads of government have since these days erected capitals, and in America, both north and south, the republics have adopted the idea of establishing one special building in which the legislative bodies hold their sessions. And when they say north and south, they're talking north and south America. And I know uh, when I was doing research on this, there was actually a cap, there was actually uh, in one of these South American countries had that version down there as well. Which, if you kind of uh, think about it this way, with South America being conquered by uh, Spain, Portugal, and basically uh, proxies for Rome, uh, that makes sense that they would have it down here. But also to have it up here, if we were, quote-unquote, free of that, we wouldn't have that. But that's kind of a, re a reflection almost. Like, a, like an as above, so below thing. The above being north, the below being south. Right. You can probably uh, go online and type in uh, the Tiber in Rome, and you'll see the, the, the names of the seven, the seven hills in Rome. And like I said, uh, this was kind of a, a a more difficult word search to find, but the, there are seven hills in Washington, D.C. It's not plainly the information that's plainly available, but if you dig deep deep enough, you'll you'll see that there are seven hills, which I think is kind of a, another little uh, indication that uh, this is this is uh, Rome's territory. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mons. Mons definition of an area of the body that is higher than neighboring areas. Mons pubis. <laughs> Mons pubis? Pubis. Interesting. Well, it goes now. Of course, we'll probably talk about it, but when we look at... Uh, the connections with uh, the cult of Saturn, Saturnalian, Saturnalia, and uh, and then the goat of Mendes, or uh, <clears throat> Baphomet, Mons Arenas, Mons Pupus, Mons Pupus of the human female. Interesting. Mons Marinus. Uh, Mons, once again, looks like it has something concerning with uh, uh, female anatomy, don't you think? 
<laughs> yeah. Which would, would make sense, especially from my research about Saturnalia and about as above, so below, the sex cult connection, the Baphomet connection, the satanic connection, the hermaphroditic connection. It all ties in, in the sick cult that we've been subjected to. So I'm sorry to distract you. Go on and uh, I'll look up, no, I'll look up the, the, the seven hills in, in, in uh, Italy for you. But you keep on going, so. Sure. Where did I leave off? A little historical background as to uh, the battle for this plot of land. Uh, this is taken from a book called The Archaeology of Rome uh, Plates. And this was uh, by a gentleman by the name of John Henry Parker. Um, and it goes on to state that the hill of Saturn was occupied by the Sabines at the time that the Romans fortified the Palatine, uh, has been shown, and that it was called Capitoline Hill after the two hills were united into one city and enclosed in one wall, as Dionysus tells us, because the great building to contain the public offices for the United City was built upon it. But as this is not yet generally admitted, it is uh, still a point of dispute. A few authorities for it may uh, here be introduced with advantage. Uh, but then he goes on to state, in the uh, Mirabilia, no, I'm going to butcher these uh, Latin terms here, probably. In the Mirabilia Urbis Romae, the hill of Saturn is said to be now called Capitolium because the senators assembled there to debate or, or to deliberate. In the Graphia Ora Urbis Romae, it is said that the capital was the head of the world, where the councils and ascenders deliberated on its government. Uh, let's see here. So basically, again, we're, we're drawing the connection from our Capitol Hill back to Rome. And as you stated, you know, why are we continuing the the progression of Rome onto a new land? Okay, then uh, I'm going to skip forward. And that has some pretty interesting uh, lineage to it, and basically it's a, it's a bluff that is uh, connected to the hill. And at one time, the Tarpeian rock was used to execute people by flinging them off the rock, uh, either political uh, adversaries or in the first uh, use of uh, uh, trying to perfect the gene pool with the um, uh, the, uh, the fellows that are doing the eugenics, like Galton and things like that, they would use that hill and throw off uh, people who were uh, mentally or physically ill-equipped. 
they would get rid of them by dashing them off the hill. So, in, in a way, to me, that's, you know, they literally did it back there. They, we metaphorically do it on Capitol Hill. You know, we we either uh, send people over to uh, to wars or else they perform legislation that that basically gets you know exterminates people. So um, the the question you know that was brought up a couple times was was concerning the the founding fathers and. Were they aware of the bloody history in which they were bringing over to a new land? And uh, especially Jefferson. Uh, Jefferson was uh, a classically educated person, and according to my findings, he was uh, familiar with uh, the writings of several of the Roman writers of the time in the Roman historians, uh, such as Herodotus, uh, Livy, uh, Cicero, uh, and Horace, to, to name just a few. And to me, this kind of continues the the the, the theme that Wash or that Jefferson was certainly an elitist who, kind of like Ron Paul, presented a, a public face, but underneath had you know a contemptuous view towards uh, the regular person. That was due to his education. Interesting. So then, I guess uh, the next step in this whole in this conversation is to find out what, why is Saturn such a hot topic, even back then, as it is now, and. You know, from a perceptual, uh, from perception, you know, it's just a blip in the sky, and it's a faraway planet. However, if you take into, if you if you lend any credence to Emmanuel Velikovsky or to, he's, um, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, David Talbot's work with the Electric Universe, or with um, uh, what's the fellow's name with <laughs> our own very website that I can't remember right now, uh, John Ackerman. Okay. If you take if you take into account those three sources that suggest that our celestial skies are not the are not the same as they were back many years ago. That there was a change. Uh, if you can entertain that notion that things do change on a grand scale, then the following could be a, a quite plausible uh, explanation as to what's going on. What's going on? Why are why are quote unquote Christian country is not a Christian country, and why uh, the world runs the way it does. So we're going to uh, go into a quote from um, a book called The Saturn Myth, written by David Talbot back in 1980. And the quote goes, 
The evidence assembled in the following pages indicates that within human memory, extraordinary changes in the planetary system occurred. In the earliest age recalled by man, the planet Saturn was the most spectacular light in the heavens and the impact on the... the dominant celestial body. Ancient races the world over record that there was once a golden age, a kingdom of cosmic harmony ruled by a central light god. Numerous sources identify this light god as the planet Saturn. Accounts of Saturn's appearance suggest that the planet hung ominously close to the Earth. In early ritual and astronomy, Saturn appears as the primeval sun, described as the figure of terrifying splendor. Today, Saturn appears as a bare speck of light following the same visual path as the solar orb. But during the legacy of the Golden Age, Saturn stood in the north. Legends from this Legends from every continent depict the primeval sun as an immense fiery globe at the north celestial pole, the visual pivot of the heavens. Unlike the rising and setting solar orb, the primeval sun remained fixed in one place. And there's actually a, a YouTube video that uh, is very well done and gives a graphical representation of that following paragraph the following passage, and that can, uh, if you just do a Google search called Symbols of an Alien Sky, right. and, do, and do a video search on it, it'll, mm-hmm. it'll pop up. Yep, so I know what you're talking about, and uh, we'll send it over to everyone else. So very interesting ideas behind it. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. a combination of uh, based on the, pro- the the thesis that they're presenting is that the alignments of Saturn uh, Mars and form what represents an eye and the the uh, the hex the hexagram of Saturn lines up with that. Uh, let's see here. We're Can I interject? Can I? You mind me interjecting here a little bit? Talk about this. Absolutely. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, yeah. So my research, no expert at all, that's for sure. But when I look at this, and if you folks, if you look at this uh, documentary, uh, symbols of the alien sky, you get some pretty interesting insights. Um, there's a couple of videos I'll send you away too, but if you really look at the connections between how, so you got Saturn with the hexagram, supposed hexagram in the northern pole vortex. At one time in the distant past, the folks here on what we call Earth, there were times when Saturn, Venus, and Mars aligned together and they created a certain image in the sky. Now, if you look at what we see is the sun wheel that you'll find in it endlessly in all sorts of temples, they go way beyond Roman Catholicism or Christianity. You'll find them in Hindus, 
uh, temples and Buddhist temples and temples in Central and South America and etc. That sun wheel actually doesn't represent the sun. It actually represents what we're talking about, which is when the Saturn and then a Venus in front of it and then the front in front of Venus and Saturn, Mars are in a perfect alignment in the sky. It looks just like the sun wheel. And if you think about it, the outer rim that represents, now we talk about, now uh, visualize a sun wheel or just a wheel, like a carriage wheel. The out, uh, outline, the outer rim represents Saturn. The next uh, circle within, think of it like a bullseye or what you're thinking about, you know, looking at a, uh, at a wheel, wagon wheel. That inner circle, the intermediate circle represents Venus with its spokes coming out. And then the dot in the center represents Mars. That's what they saw in the distant past, according to many, including this um, documentary that Mashu was talking about, uh, once again, Symbols of an Alien Sky. Puts different perspective on things, especially when you see that sun wheel. That which sun were they talking about? Mm-hmm. The purple sun of uh, the past of uh, uh, of Saturn, or are we talking about our present sun? It's a very good question to ask. It's a very intriguing question, at least. So sorry. Okay, just wanted to interject right. with that. No, and that and that was obviously. You knocked it out of the park because I I would have stammered and stuttered, <laughs> and anyways you did it quite well. Um, and it also, this also ties into what Emmanuel Velikovsky, uh wrote about and put forth was that what we see now is not what was going back going on back in the ancient times, you know, in, in a time where we considered those people to be primitive which I'm not quite so sure that they actually were, comparatively speaking. Um, this is from a uh, from the, the Emanuel Velikovsky online archive, uh, and it, this goes on to state, if Saturn was always as inconspicuous as it is at present, present, what could have caused the races of antiquity as if by common consent to give Saturn the, the appellative, quote, sun, or, quote, the shining one. The astrologers certainly must have found it increasingly contrary to reason to associate the star that gives us light and life with one of the palest and slowest of the planets. So, you know, as you said, the all, ancient societies all throughout Earth recognized that this was our sun and, and portrayed the graphic representation the same all throughout the Earth. Uh, so that's not a coincidence. Uh, so then this brings us forward to the uh, Cassini uh, Space Telescope, or uh, Space Probe, and you mentioned something interesting before the call started, and would you mind sharing that with me about Cassini? Oh, Cassini, yeah. So in my research, I discovered about Cassini. I know we're talking about the probe. 
the alleged probe, I'm going to say, that supposedly went to, I'm sorry if I sound cynical about that, but as we go on, I'll explain why I'm cynical, about this Sassini slash Hygen. So Sassini is S, excuse me, C. A S S I N I, and and then there was Hygens, H U Y G E N S. Well, this probe is named after two gentlemen, and uh, Giovanni Cassini was a Jesuit. Jesuit priest, and then we discover about uh, Christian Hygens. He was a Freemason. So this probe was dedicated to, uh, well, of course, you look at a Jesuit and a Freemason. And in my opinion, from my research and study, there's a big part of your uh, New World Order the ruling structure, if you will, which I find fascinating because you look at a guy like uh, Sassini and how he, not only being a Jesuit, and this other gentleman, the Freemason, were both obsessed with Saturn, and not just them, but Jesuits in general have been extremely obsessed with Saturn. And that should be something to take into consideration when you're researching this and you're looking into these imagery, especially about the Saturn itself and the story of the past. And we have to consider the fact of how they may have and most likely have influenced and manipulated the story, unfortunately. I'm not saying it's not true that in the past the ancients did not see a sun or a, 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 a sky that was different than today. I'm just saying that once the Jesuits and the Freemasons get their hands on something, well, needless to say, it's a red flag. Would you agree? Well, you certainly have to uh, be cautious about the information, that's for sure. That's Yeah, that's it. So. Because they're masters oh. at deception and their masters of twisting the story to suit their agenda and their version uh, of uh, reality and um, unfortunately that's just the way it is and so they've done a masterful job about clouding and confusing our history and our past and ultimately at least how I see it they, our present day, are the main culprits for the reason why we are very confused about our past. Because they are the controllers of history in our past and in information at this point. So, something to think about, that's all. But it's very telling that they would actually name this probe after a Jesuit and a Freemason. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> as the conversation goes into it, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna run across uh, that same uh, 
commonality. Oh yeah. So, uh, if you, anyways, you can Google a lot of uh, things about uh, the the hexagram on on Saturn and and such of that nature, and I I popped up a link under NASA.gov, which I know stands for never a straight answer, but we'll 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 go with the premise that <laughs> they are they are uh, you know at least by a pictorial representation uh, giving us the straight the straight dope, and then I'm also going to pop in one more link for the audience to follow real quick here. That goes through. Okay, and that's from JPL, which is another uh, pseudo science, uh, very occult organization. <laughs> you know, as as you mentioned before, uh, they have very strange uh, origins, to say the least, uh, yeah. to a person that's going to pop up in, in our discussion coming up down the road. Oh, yes. Yeah. Another thing about. Uh Oh gosh, what is Cassini is uh you know, he went to the Jesuit school of Genova Genoa and then if I'm not mistaken, Christian went to the uh the Royal Society of Science, I believe that's what it is. And so these these guys weren't uh, small fry in the, as far as the big picture and as far as being part of the narrative of our cosmology. So we should take this uh, quite serious about who they are and why they were named. This probe was named after. So, and uh, that's all. So, a couple of tidbits and facts about the whole thing. <laughs> and uh, okay, the last thirty seconds was all uh, bells and whistles. From here, you're you're kind of pop it in and pop it up. Would you uh, give me a brief summary of what you said? Oh, really? It's static on your end. I hope it's not static on other people's end. It's, 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 you're sounding clear now on my end. The thing is, is yeah. that I was just saying about Safini uh, is that he went to the uh, in Genoa, the college or the Jesuit school in Genoa. And then um, uh, uh, what's his name? Hyde? What's his name again? <laughs> I gotta go look back here again. I'm sorry, folks. Uh, here we go. Uh, what's his name? Uh, okay, Hygen. He went to the uh, the Royal Academy of Science and was, was educated in London and was part of the uh, the, the Freemasonry stuff. They, what I was trying to get at was that these two gentlemen were not small fry in the big scheme of things as far as uh, creating our present-day cosmology. And so we should take it quite serious when we see these two names named uh, for the probe. Uh, take it very seriously. It's, it's, gonna, it's a fascinating story. It's a story of a mixture of truth and, and, and fallacy from where I'm researching, and it's uh, both the truth is fascinating and the fallacy is fascinating, or the deception. 
<laughs> it's quite fascinating, this whole story. So, but anyways, okay. Okay. Um, so we're gonna address a subject on the uh, the photos that were brought forth by NASA and JPL, and basically uh, there is a hexagram on the on the pole of Saturn, and. Let me uh, find a link here real quick that has a, uh, a decent representation of that. So people out there, uh, get oh, well, what's fascinating about it is that this hexagram that's at the north pole of Saturn is a polar vortex. And so what that means is that the wind rotates, and as it's rotating at suppose at tremendous speeds, it creates this vortex. Interesting fact about this vortex, it cannot be coincidence, in my opinion. This vortex, they claim, is 60 miles deep. Now this goes back to you and our study. We talked about this, quote, unquote, the Star of David, the hexagram. And how six six the number six is just brittled all over it. Right. Um, fascinating, don't you think? <laughs> I think yeah. it is. Let me, uh, <laughs> I just found something here, and then let me pop it into the uh, the show link here real quick, and then uh, we'll go from there. So also I find it was just uh, interesting in one of those videos that I sent with you folks, I can't remember which one it was, but uh, on television, one of the, uh, I think it was on like History Channel or something like that, whatever, and they were talking about Saturn, and they talked about this northern vortex and how this vortex was very similar to the vortex that's on Earth. Now, you can do your own reading between the lines if you want to, but it's interesting when we look at this world that we live in, which is a satanic, we, we know that the prince of this world is Satan, that uh, God the Father, our Heavenly Father, has allowed him to be the prince of this world, that he rules over these, the, the nations, the governments, which then goes back to what you were talking about, but Washington, D.C., and surprise, surprise, that Rome would be involved in all this, that... Here we go again. Uh, we're hearing and the mainstream media saying that this vortex that was on Saturn, they said, they, they let it slip. They said, it's just like what's on Earth. Now, the problem, of course, with that is, is that you and I have never seen that, nor do we know whether it's true or not. Could be just power of suggestion once again. But how far-fetched would it be, considering the fact that Satan is the prince of this world? Very interesting. Uh, yeah, I just put a Google Google image link in there, and under uh, all those images, there should be like a uh, a big image that pops up with the ideas that we're going to explore uh, going forward. Uh, basically, uh, showing the hexagonal shape of the uh, double tetrahedron that appears on the North Pole of Saturn, which you went into. And how that forms, what we know, 
uh, currently as the Star of David, um, which uh, brings forward a whole slew of uh, occultism uh, and, and things of that nature that, uh, again, you mentioned as being dark, but you you kind of need to know what's really going on to understand what we're being subjected to. So, uh, the the hexagon or the hexagram, the star of David, uh, as we know it currently, is the star star of David and is on the the flag of Israel. However, most people don't know the origins of that symbol and how it became to be attached to the Jewish people. Uh, so uh, this resource came here from an uh, online resource by a Dr. Israel Shahak, and it says, where does the Star of David come, star of David come from? Put that in the show link real quick, and people can follow along with that as I read a few, few uh, paragraphs uh, here. Uh, it starts, facts about the question about how the Star of David evolved and how it was accepted by the Jews as their symbol are found only in contributions by good Israeli historians published in specialized Israeli historical magazines, which, I don't know, as, as a personal side note, that seems kind of conspicuous. Uh, it goes on. First of all, it is necessary to realize that the Hebraic as well as the Yiddish name for the symbol is actually Shield of David. I don't know why it was finally called the Star of David. Uh, skipping down, it goes on. The history of the Shield of David begins in Prague in the year 1648. During the last year of the Thirty Years' War, Prague was besieged by the Swedish army. The town was mainly defended by Prague citizens' militia, which included a Jewish unit. Uh, this was the case until the days of Maria Theresa, who terminated the participation of Jews in the militia. Uh, because the Swedes did not succeed in taking the city, German Emperor uh, Ferdinand III decided to assign honor flags and other decorations to all units of the citizens' militia in accordance with their self-defined affiliations. Uh, this included the Jews. However, no one in Vienna knew what kind of symbol to put on the flag, which was to be assigned to the Jews. Even the family uh, Oppenheimer, or Oppenheimer, the, courts, uh, the emperor's court Jews, did not know what to do. And this is the part that gets good. Uh, in their helpfulness, they turned to the scholarly, scholarly Jesuits in Vienna to find a Jewish symbol. They finally came to the conclusion that King David must have had the first and last letter of his name, D, on the shield. They knew that the Jewish alphabet transformed towards Aramaic around the year 400 B.C., although the earlier alphabet was still used during festive occasions. Uh, ancient Jewish coins, for example, are inscribed with these old letters, which are identified with the Punic letters. In this alphabet, the letter D is a triangle, similar to today's Greek delta. Therefore, they superimposed two triangles which formed the shield of David. This was embroidered on the Jewish flag and presented to the Jews of Prague as an honorable distinction for their duty for their country. Interesting. Interesting to note 
once again. As the old saying goes, there's a Jesuit behind every a corner and every rock, and uh, turning out to be that way. <laughs> and, and it's almost getting comical at this point, and right. tragically comical because how few of us even have a clue, our understanding of who the Jesuits really are and their influence in our lives. It's just absolutely bizarre, and it shows how far gone we are in our own reality that we don't even know who these these characters are, really, at the end of the day. And right. not surprising, because if we look at, you know, Society of Jesus, versus anybody who spends any time with the Jesuits knows that they really they worship Lucifer, or they worship Satan, so why wouldn't they be involved in all this, huh? Who else would be better and more and authority and had the power to do such a thing? Very interesting, though. A brilliant find, by the way. If you could, did you post that one? Uh, let me take a quick look here. If you could post that one, that's a very. Most people might they might go over their heads, but the fact that yeah. the Jesuits were involved with the creation and the very start was just one more piece of evidence that shows that uh, their influence. Um, when it comes to the creation of the state of Israel, and how it's really their creation and not God's. So, right, it's the five six dot org outreach Jewish David Starr. Cool, thank you. And then, uh, not not the last paragraph, but the second to the last goes on. The Jews actually never heard or used this symbol before the year sixteen forty eight with the exception of a time between 700 and 400 B.C. when it was used by Jews as well as non-Jews in magic spells. In any case, it is rather amusing to know that the Jewish symbol, which is today on the flag of Israel, was actually given prominence by Viennese Jesuits as demanded by the German emperor. But, you know, given, obviously this was written, uh, this gentleman, if you, if you uh, Google him really quick, he was a Holocaust survivor, and he was a professor. Let's see, pop him up here on on Wikipedia, and you know, for, forgive forgive its Wikipedia for a second, but it could be right. <laughs> uh, was a, was a Polish-born Holocaust survivor and was a professor of chemistry at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Uh, so, I think the credentials. For what he states, you know, are you know pretty solid as far as uh, as, uh, as far as I'm concerned. You know, if you try to do a Google search within the old text and things like that, you will not find anything for whatever reason. And maybe the reason that he stated earlier, maybe that was correct. I don't know. But it, as you said, uh, it, it, you know, and he had the same opinion that you know. Obviously, having the Jesuits uh, be involved in that symbol, you know, and ordered by a German uh, an emperor is, is is pretty amusing, as you said before. I mean, based on the comical, based on the absurd. Yes, it so, is really. Yeah. So, and as you stated before, this symbol is used throughout the world in in other cultures. However, in Obviously, being subjected to 
the history that this society is is subjected to. We don't know um, how other cultures interpret this this symbol, and if they have the same uh, bottom line conclusions as we do. It it would be kind of interesting to you know find that out. However, from our cultural viewpoint, this is where we're going to go. Um, so if you take, if you accept the fact that the the hexa, hexagram is is a visual representation of the north pole of Saturn and Saturn was once our sun you have to take into account then that that symbol is a legitimate has legitimate meaning as far as how it's being present why it's being presented to us um There was a a, a uh, have you heard of the tech, have you heard of the book Gulliver's Travels? Sure. Okay, it was written by Jonathan Swift, and this is kind of another little tidbit as to people from an earlier time knowing what was really going on, and this was. Uh, a poem that he wrote uh, titled uh, Panegyric on the Dean uh, in the Person of a Lady in the North in 1730. It goes on. When Saturn ruled the skies alone, that golden age to gold unknown, this early earthly globe to thee assigned, receiving the gifts of all mankind. Ten thousand altars smoking around were built to thee with offerings Offerings ground, crowned rather. Sorry, and here thy daily votaries placed their sacrifice with zeal and haste. The margin of a purling stream sent up to thee a grateful steam. Though sometimes thou wert pleased to wink, if naiads swept them from the brink, or where appointing lovers rove the shelter of a shady grove, or offered in some flowery vale, or wafted by a gentle gale. There are many a flower obtrusive grew, thy favorite flowers of yellow hue, the crocus and the daffodil, the cowslip soft and the sweet jonquil. But when at last uh, usurping Jove, Old Saturn from his empire drove, then gluttony with greasy paws, her napkin pinned upon her jaws. So that's the the poem from Jonathan Swift. And when I came across that, I thought to myself, okay, how could he make that that uh, that connection that Saturn was you know, so close to us at one time, and to in the, to pen a poem like that to kind of really kind of put it in perspective like that. But then I found uh, Jonathan Swift was rather a unique individual. Uh, let me find a link real quick here for you. 
He's a poet cleric who became dean of the St. Patrick's Cathedral in Dublin. Interesting. Right. And uh, according to the pictures that we have of him, he's a very effeminate looking man. <laughs> I'm sorry, but he is. I, I, this, you know what? This, what is fascinating, this whole connection between the cult of Saturn, uh, and then once again, going by this, this androgynous look that's pushing once again. It's in our day and age, we look at, uh, oh gosh, uh, Bruce Jenner and this whole hermaphroditic image that, you know, the man with the breast, but still having the, 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 the male genitals, the penis. And, uh, you know, during that time period, I mean, let's be honest about it, they forced all those who wanted to be anything or be part of that elitist crowd to basically wear powdery wigs and stretchy pants and to look very effeminate, be pale looking. And... Uh, Clearly, a part of this uh, uh, the cult of Saturn, Saturn, Saturn's uh, objectives, the satanic objective, uh, objective to blur the lines between male and female. And uh, I'm sorry to go off a tangent, but I'm looking at it and I just get, I don't know. I mean, they don't look like men to me. When I look at George Washington, I look at all the other guys, I look like a, they're a bunch of pansies to me. I don't care how great they are and how everybody wants to make them out to be and how it's some kind of cultural thing. The fact of the matter is, in my neighborhood where I grew up, if you were walking down a street like that, you probably would have got your butt kicked. And maybe that's what should have happened to those gentlemen, don't you think? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm I'll, I'll let you go. <laughs> They didn't walk the streets. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, From that in itself, my... you, you talk about the, how we're under this mind control and how we're all been brainwashed and deceived and how we're in this connection with this uh, occult of Saturn. And you look at these guys and these founding fathers and nobody ever, ever said anything like, well, listen, they look like a bunch of almost queers. Somebody I don't, would never want my kid to be around. And they're calling them funny fathers. And why don't we just get honest with that? How many of us, I mean, we know in the scriptures, you're not supposed to have long hair. That's not of God. God looks down on that. Men are supposed to have short hair. Which, by the way, is going to go to what you're talking about, isn't it? Down the road here in this, yeah. this, this, this topics. So what are these yeah. men truly representing when you look at a guy like Swift and everyone else? Who are they actually mimicking? Are they mimicking our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the scriptures, or are they mimicking something else or someone else? Something to think about, don't you think? Right. Um, I posted up a link, and it's entitled Johnson Swift and the Moons of Mars. And basically, it lends, it, it proposes the idea that, uh, that he... Uh, basically kind of predicted that there was the moons of Mars, Phobos, and Deimos back in, uh, let's see, travels into the remote nations of the world in four parts. Uh, and, if you read, and if you read that article, it, it kind of goes into, the, you know, the postulation that, you know, he was pretty 
fairly close in, in uh, divining that there were these moons or these satellites on Mars. So uh, this guy was more than, you know, just a, uh, you know, your regular author, you know, and it says he was an Irish clergyman and a, and a social and political commentator. Uh, but I'm pretty sure he had access to knowledge and information of, you know, in that time where when he, that poem that I read, that, that was, you know, from something that he just didn't, uh, you know, pull out of his back pocket. Do you think that, the, that these gentlemen might have had uh, access to the, uh, oh, those Samaritan uh, texts, um, those cylinders Samaritan that text? they had? Uh, the ones that you see depicting the uh, the what's called the Star of David. Yeah, well, they got the you know the the god of Ninurta, which is the god there of Samaria, and he's got the high priest bowing down to him or giving the gifts, and above him they have the Star of David, uh, which you know representing Saturn, and then it has the moons or the planet. It looks like the moons of Saturn and planets are rolling around Saturn, which seems to me like there's some very credible. It's very credible. The only problem, of course, is uh, knowing whether or not those seals are legit or not. We never know. But um, regardless of the fact, those seals are representing uh, the god of the harvest. Uh, 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 Nurtoa, which is another name for Saturn, right? Right, and there's, yeah. you know, and, and here's where things kind of get confusing is that, you know, that, you know, Saturn has all these different names worldwide, and that's another clue, you know, that should give people the, the, uh, the idea that this, uh, what's called the Currently called the Electric Universe Theory, set forth by David Talbot, and the work of Emmanuel Balakowski and John Ackerman, Ackerman, uh, do have uh, strong credence. Um, so we're going to kind of hop this uh, discussion forward and, into uh, what the, what are the different names of Saturn throughout the universe and or throughout the universe, throughout the, throughout the world, and how they relate to uh, biblical scripture. And find what I'm trying to look for here, real quick. Uh, let's see. If you have. Michael, if you have any information up front, you can go ahead and run with the ball if you want. Well, if you go back to Saturn and the hexagram that's on there and the northern uh, polar vortex, it's supposed to be 60 miles deep. That's that's what what NASA says, Uh, 60 miles deep. Uh, We look at the hexagram... Um, you know, first I think we should talk a little bit more about this hexagram. Most people in this show probably have a basic understanding of hexagram. 
this site is 666 meaning where we have uh, there's a six-sided star, so the six there. There's the six mini triangles, each triangle having uh, uh, consisting of uh, uh, 60 degrees at each angle. Would add up to six 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 again, taking away the zero. You have uh, what else? You have it's geometric. It goes on and on. We got. Uh, a few other things there, right? The number or number 66 is closely linked to Saturn, a Roman god of the harvest. What I find interesting about all these gods that we're going to talk about, if we look at some of the names of the gods, um, there is Stir. Uh, we've got the Babylonians call them Stir. Uh, think of Sturgeon and just remove Jen. S-T-U-R. Um, right. Well, there's, a, there's have, a book called The Two Babylons written by Alexander Hislop. Yeah. And that it raises that point, and I, I'll read it real quick here. Okay. It says, to those who were initiated, uh, initiated that God was revealed. To all else, he was hidden, which uh, there's there's a passage in that book that, that equates how Pluto and Saturn are the same because they are hidden. And when we're talking about also what's going on in the world and who's driving the agenda of everything, they are also hidden. Okay. So the so those to those who were initiated that God was revealed, to all else he was hidden. Now the name Saturn in Chaldee is pronounced Satur but as every Chaldee scholar knows, consists only of four letters, which is S-A-T-U-R. Thus, Stur, S-T-U-R. This name contains exactly the apocalyptic number 666. And then it goes on the list. S equals 060, T equals 400, U equals 006, and R equals 200. Mm-hmm. Um, if the Pope is, and as we've seen, the legitimate representative of Saturn, the number of the Pope as the head of the mystery of inequity is just 666. But still it turns out, as shown above, that the original name of Rome itself was Saturnia, the city of Saturn. Uh, this is vouched for like by Ovid, by Pliny, and by Aurelius Victor. Thus, when the Pope Thus, then, the Pope has a double claim to the name and the number of the beast. And if you look at his hat, if you look at his mitre hat, what does he have on it? Saturn. He has the, 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 the hexagram. The image of Saturn is literally there for all to see in his mitre, which is, once again, fascinating. Uh, long before the Star of David even showed up, or the state, the, the, the state of Israel, with their flag, who was sporting that? The papacy, the pope, and his mitre. Could be a connection. But it even goes further back as you go on with this, the connecting the dots with all the different countries and cultures. Because even Rome wasn't the first cult or religious institution or 
empire to use this symbol. They just adopted it or, you know, conquered it, if you will. Because if you look at the revelations, as it talks about the dragon uh, gives us this power, and gave the power to Rome. Well, who had that power prior to Rome? That's a good question, I think. <laughs> uh, and he goes on from there. He is the only he, meaning the Pope, is the only legitimate representative of a, the original Saturn at this day in existence, and he reigns in the very city of the Seven Hills, where the Roman Saturn formerly reigned. And from this resident, in which the whole of Italy was long after called by his name, uh, being commonly named the Saturn, the uh, Saturnian land. But what bearing it may be said has this upon the name Latinos, which is commonly believed to be the name of the beast. That's a question mark. Much. Uh, so. We're we're kind of we're kind of uh, assigning the 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 Saturn slash devil slash beast uh, moniker strictly right onto the papacy of Rome. Would that be correct? Uh, yes and no, and I'll explain why. After doing a little more research and looking back in my past research. And I think you and I will probably agree about this. The head of this satanic or Saturnalian cult is the papacy in Rome. But they're not the only ones. Oh, no, they're not the only ones. Because if you look at that image right. that I linked to, you have that big cube, you have that big cube in Mecca in which the people swirl around that like the rings, like the rings of Saturn. Um, there's also pictures of black cubes that are located uh, throughout. Uh, I know there's a black cube in uh, New York. Let's see. Let's, let's type in black cube here. You find them all throughout the whole world in all major metropolitans pretty much at this point, especially that of this uh, dominated by Rome. Um but also, of course, you know, we're talking about Islam, which, of course, is dominated by Rome. Except for there's a very interesting thing I've noticed when doing this research. If we go in the ancient past with this star, of course, star David, this hexagram, which is turning out to be actual, the actual, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure, in more detail. Because people are always asking, what is the mark of the beast? Well, it's turning out to be that this star... Most likely, most probably, is the actual mark of the beast. And if you look at that, you look at history, and we were talking about all the different types of names for this uh, Saturn, and Saturnalia, Chronos is another name for the Greeks, Quetzalcoatl for uh, the Mayans, uh, the Hindus have their name for them. The Buddhists have their name for them. The Shintus have their name for them. Every major pagan uh, religious institution has their name for them. What's fascinating is this character that we know of as 
Satan in the Bible has many, many names, but it always carries the same mark. And that mark, folks, is what we're talking about today. Saturn. The mark, the symbol of Saturn. The hexagram. Uh, and uh, it's everywhere. Everywhere you go, every single major empire has been based upon a satanic priest class. And as we go on, I imagine we're going to be talking about the Sacred Heart ceremony. And so let's go back to when I was reading, when I mentioned about Rome and the name for Saturn. And, uh, well, the Saturn. What is this name again? Romans, the Saturnalia or Saturn or Rome? I don't know. I get so confused. Anyways, the, the thing that's really important is that all these names not only represent Saturn, but they also uh, the god of harvest. And I want you folks to think about this. What were they really insinuating? What were they really talking about when they said the god of harvest? What were they actually harvesting? Because most people think it's simply about grain and agriculture, but it's clear when you connect the dots, this God of Harvest wasn't interested in grain or wheat or corn. He was interested in a different harvest. No. You see what well, I'm getting at? Yeah, there's a front story and there's a back story. Yeah. The front story is the festival and the back story is the uh, the the Kronos, uh, uh, Baal, uh, Moloch, Rampham, Israel, they turned into idolatry and they started worshiping uh, Rapham, and Rapham is the same person that we're talking about, right. the same entity. And it's it's curious to to especially get into the uh, the Kronos uh, symbology and and visualization that is that you, you can you can pop up online where they show Kronos as eating he has a scythe in one hand and he has a baby in the other <laughs> and he's and, and he's 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 eating you know he's he's ripping at the flesh of, of the baby and I guess the the timing of what quote-unquote Christmas is is Father Time is waiting for the new baby to come in at the beginning of the year so he can start devouring that baby with his scythe. Or he can start holding his scythe, he he devours the baby. Mm. And then also there is the child sacrifice angle of the, the Moloch representation of Saturn where people are walking up the stairs and presenting their child to Moloch as a sacrifice. Yeah. So that's it's where that's yeah, so that's where the whole Saturn thing is is going to take a, a a dark turn. I mean, it, 
we we discussed the dark overtones already to it, but it it gets you know obviously it's going to get worse from here. And oh, okay. this, yeah. And this is and this is where uh, you can take it literally, you know, and also you can take it as a as a representation of what actually is coming down the road. Um, I want to go back to. Alexander Hislop here real quick and find a couple passages here. It's funny, it's funny that this uh, the Saturn cult, death cult that dominates this world, the satanic system, how it has this journey to bring back an ancient cosmology. It's, it's interesting. This goes back to what I was saying, how there's this there's truth in this story, and there's some, well, a whole lot of fictitious, fictitious fable, especially coming out of NASA. Uh, it seems to me that there's a strong possibility that the ancients really did see in the heavens Saturn. The Saturn might have been the most more dominating of the, the heavenly bodies, along with Venus and then Mars. That it could have been, just have been, could have been that true star. Then we look at today and NASA. We go back, we look at this picture, so I'm just going to bring this up a little bit. I don't want to be controversial, but I do want us to think critically about this whole thing. We look at those imagery of the hexagrams and Saturn. And if you look seriously at those imageries, you know, and then if you go do just a little Googling and research and how through the use of frequencies and vibrations, you can create that same image in sand and liquids and how easily all those imagery that they claim is on Saturn could be faked. I'm getting the hunch that, you know, I don't know if I'm right or not, that Saturn can't, or NASA can't go very far, and that I'm struggling this, you know, with the whole issue that the reality is that you and I and nobody that we know of has seen a complete panoramic view of the Earth. As they can't do that, then the odds are they can't do what they're claiming by showing true pictures of Saturn. And I think they have this desperate yearning of wanting because they are filled with the spirit of Satan to bring back a, glor- a golden age. But God's not going to let them allow that and have that if we believe their scriptures, that they will fail. But this is a desperate attempt that they want to bring back this golden age. Now if we go back to the statue of Daniel... We look at what the head was during the times of Babylonian Empire. It was made of gold. Could that be the golden age that they're talking about? Of course, it's just speculation. But when I see what's going on with NASA and how it's basically the majority of it basically is you see it's, uh, CGI and, and artist renderings. Not most of it, all of it, except for a few photographs going through a, a round window, the supposed 
spacecraft. But if you honestly look at it, the picture honestly, you realize you're not seeing the complete Earth. You're just seeing part of it. I mean, you know, Africa, and it looks humongous, like there's nothing else on that planet but Africa. So, and if you are willing to question the whole heliocentric model, which I am at this point, um, and this whole idea, if you're willing to believe what the Bible says about a firmament, there's some kind of barrier. Odds are they've never been to Saturn. Yet, because they worship Satan, Saturn, Kronos, etc., they have this yearning. Satan has a yearning to bring back that golden age. And they will do anything in their power, whether in reality or not, to try to make that happen. And, you know, we live in a day and age where Hollywood, sorcery, the Jesuits, what they really are, all these guys and all the high priests of all these different religious organizations was Eastern Orthodox Church, uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, all these guys. They were all just, uh, they practiced black magic. And what is magic? You know, generally speaking, well, a big part of it is sorcery and the use of deception and lies and to confuse and brainwash their victims, which is us, the populace. So. Uh, then again, I'm, I'm, what I'm saying, I, do I know for certain that they have not been to Saturn? Of course I don't. But it's pretty clear what they've been presenting us, uh, the plebs, if you will, the plebeians, is not a complete and full and truthful story. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it's very plausible that in the past, the ancients really did see this type of, uh, 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 you know, uh, what was in the skies. Uh, the cosmology was different. And there's some kind of cataclysmic event maybe more than, than one. Some people even argue that during the first century, after the death of Christ, that there was a major cataclysmic event that happened. Uh, some people say, well, you're, you're borderline uh, uh, preterist when you're talking about that, but I'm not really talking about that. Because you know, I make the mistake of assuming that it's all like a preterist point of view. The fact of the matter is, if you look at that time period, actually for the next, you know, we call the Dark Ages or the Medieval Ages or just a period of time where there's just historically, academically, you know, as far as documentation goes, a giant void, emptiness, a blank. To assume that the Roman Empire or whoever, you know, the Europeans were the only ones with a written language, is asinine. Why were they, what happened to the other cultures? China, Africa, Central America. How come we have just a giant void of what happened during that time? Could some kind of cataclysmic event happen during or well, after Christ's death and resurrection? 
that just shook this planet to its core maybe prior to. I don't know. Probably we don't know. That's quite disturbing, don't you think? I mean, I think it's really disturbing how how many how vague our history is. It's really disturbing. I don't know. Yeah. You still there? <laughs> yeah. Well, no. Yeah, we're and you know, we're trying we're trying our best to kind of you know come to that conclusion and and uh, consider possibilities that uh, you know that underground uh, information presents to us. And then, okay. Yeah. So, uh, kind of relating back to the original journey of finding out that the United States wasn't all cracked what it was cracked up to be, you know, by, by works by James Montgomery and the Informer, just to kind of lay out that parallel, you know. Uh, we were fed a bunch of fairy tales that, that you know, we just took as as uh, gospel, and and for most part, people still do because they don't have a uh, a desire to find out why things are the way they are. If they know that they're messed up, but then they don't go any further, then you know it's uh, it's a shame. But uh, getting back to the bottom line deception. Yeah, yeah, it does deal with. Uh, I, in my opinion, it does deal with heavily into Saturn. And every, you know, we have so many Saturn connections. Like uh, Saturn's day is Saturday. Uh, the uh, fake representation of uh, the birth of Jesus being what we call Christmas is is a Saturn uh, Saturn uh, construct. So. So what's the what's the point of all this? I guess is the bottom line, and and you said it. You know, it's it's a it's an evil construct. Is that what these guys worship in in the form of the planet Saturn has morphed into? I don't even know if it originally started as good, but it but it is an, an evil proposition. And to kind of fast forward the the conversation a little bit. Uh, there is the infamous uh, character known as Alistair Crowley, who figures probably. Oh, not good. Masu, you dropped off. Hopefully, he can get himself back on here, or long as they can see if he figures out that he get dropped off and calls back in. So he was talking about Aleister Crowley and his, his connections, and I imagine that he is right about that. Um, hopefully they get that. You know, one thing I was going to bring up here since, you know, we're kind of we're bouncing around a little bit because this is a very complicated issue, really, in a lot of ways. It's simple in its basic form, you know, uh, understanding that this, the world is run by Satan and that our only answer is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He doesn't realize that he's left. I'm going to have to get a hold of him. And all that. So we'll see if he, if he figures out that he fell off. Anyways, uh, you know what? Oh, there he is. Okay, cool. 
Cool, cool, cool. We'll see you get him on again. Pop up. Come on. What you doing? There you go. All right, you there? You back? Yeah, sorry. Oh. I had a, my cheek hung up on you. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so we're talking about Aleister Crowley, okay? Yes. You know, th- if we fast forward this discussion uh, to the times that we live in now and also the t- the the pop culture that we're surrounded by, uh, the the name Aleister Crowley plays a big part of this, and it's also linked in to uh, the, the, the Saturn Brotherhood, so to speak. Um, there's a book called Fire and Ice, the Brothers Saturn, uh, that was uh, written back, I want to say, back in the mid-90s, 1994. And in that book, Mr. Crawley, who has a quite uh, colorful history with secret organizations, uh, of multitude of secret organizations, plays a a factor in the fraternus Saturn uh, movement as well, as well as being uh, in the OTO and things of that nature and how he became an influence upon uh, when we talk about the uh, JPL slash NASA uh, Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Uh, we're talking like Jack Parsons, who was basically a uh, an initiate of Crawley's and in, in, a, in, a, in a believer of what he was doing uh, and tied into Jack Parsons was also L. Ron Hubbard, the author slash founder of Christian of the Scientology Church. <laughs> so Crawley plays a, a big factor in what's going on with, with the uh, Saturn mythos and how it's being carried, continue, continue to be carried on in a, uh, in a demonic, uh, certainly a demonic way. Um, we're going to hop over to a book called Program to Kill that was written by David McGowan, uh, which you had on as a guest uh, a few weeks ago. And yeah. Dave has written uh, you know, a few other books, uh, most notably uh, the book about Laurel Canyon and how, uh, ironically, the music scene uh, is populated by children of the military-industrial complex. And I'll leave it at that. But um, it's going to It's just controlled by the Jesuits in Rome. <laughs> and the Brotherhood of Saturn, the Saturn Brotherhood, you know, the Stark. Right. Right. But it's carried on to this culture by you know, by people such as Aleister Crawley and and his uh, his uh, believers, his um, his initiates, and basically uh, the whole Saturnalian thing in ancient times there were child sacrifices to appease the god Saturn, uh, just like uh, Quetzalcoatl and other deities from other cultures. There were there were human sacrifices that were made to these gods, and the gods in 
the planet Saturn had its own has it had its own uh, sacrificial uh, ceremonies, uh, such as Moloch. Uh, if uh, I'm pretty sure most people out there are familiar with the Alex Jones Bohemian Grove uh, video, where he quote unquote infiltrated the the ceremony and witnessed that that uh, cremation of care ceremony that involved the stone owl that was supposed to be representative of, of Moloch. Um, so we're talking about that sort of thing. Um, but so if we're going to hop this forward to around our times, we have to understand kind of the transference of that mindset uh, starting from Aleister Crowley on, on forward. And being a member of the the, uh, the Saturn Fraternus as one of his secret organizations, and also the OTL. But so we're gonna kind of show the remnants of Crawley and his influence, rather than focusing on Crawley himself. Um, and this is based off of the book "Program to Kill" by David McGowan. And and where this is going to eventually lead with the leadership of our country. So he goes on to state, um, he's talking about the proliferation of uh, child pornography and and pornography in general. Uh, let's see, where do I pick here? Okay, he states, or it, it goes, coupled with the fact that the press has consistently downplayed the uh, occurrence of child molestation is equally disturbing with the fact that this very same media has actively promoted the sexualization of children, a trend that has been greatly accelerated in recent years. And I believe this book came out in the mid-90s, so you can imagine where it's gone from there. And which has served to, and to some degree, legitimize pedophilia. Taking note of the pro proliferation of young teen and even preteen sex symbols, Tom Junid wrote in Esquire 2001 that the entire culture is bestowed with erotic promise of teenage girls. The lure of jail bait now supplies the erotic energy to a popular culture desperate for what's new, what's young, what's alive. The Junod article is, strangely enough, a profile on Greg Dark, one half of the former Dark Brothers, notorious purveyors of dark-themed occult-tinged porno films. Dark is rather noteworthy for having openly produced and peddled child pornography, and that many of his films featured very young, a uh, very young Tracy Lords, who began working with Dark, the Dark Brothers at the age of 13. But Dark has now put those days behind him. He is now working comfortably in the mainstream. He is no longer marketing teen sexuality. No, he is creating music videos for Britney Spears, Mandy Moore, and the preteen Leslie Carter. Uh, that is, according to Dark, a completely different line of work. And then there's a footnote to those two paragraphs where it goes on to state, some of the uh, other interesting facts about Dark emerged in the Esquire profile, such as that he was raised by a Satanist father who used to read to, to Gregory from the works of Aleister Crowley, the noted occultist, when Gregory was very young. His father's collection of black magic books is one of Dark's most cherished possessions. Also reveal, revealed was that Dark is a master manipulator, as he candidly admitted to his interviewer. 
and that the thing is, then in quote, and the thing is, I like to manipulate people. I'm comfortable manipulating people. I'm good at it. Juno added that during uh, Dark's porno days, he asked people to do curious things, and they did them, such as the nature of man who craft, who helps craft the image of America's teen sex symbols and markets them to uh, millions of preteen fans. Um, so basically, uh, those are the hows and whys of why you see in popular culture uh, this fascination with underage kids who are being pushed to such uh, astronomical heights as far as commercial success. You know, because there there is a uh, there is the agenda of peddling porn and peddling the idea of pedophilia to to the uh, to the society. And I know that uh, you had expressed uh, in your town how that you know how many sexual deviants there were, and uh, when we were talking about uh, posting TV links and stuff like that, that's why I posted that video uh, shopping. I think it's called shopping for boys, and I also posted a couple more that focused on the uh, the. Uh, the Franklin scandal in which uh, the children in that scenario were being shuttled to and from uh, parties for affluent people, and the the White House got entangled into that to that little mess. Do you have any so, comments about? Yeah, it makes me madder than hell to know that and that. You know this. This is how sick. This is how sick our world is. This is how sick the U.S. is. This is how sick your town is, my town is. You know what? There are thousands of children going through this on a daily, weekly basis, and no one gives rat's ass. No one's doing anything about it. Nothing. All those people out there that call themselves Christians aren't doing anything about it. Won't even stand up for the most vulnerable. That makes me madder than you can imagine. It just really irks me. Maybe it's because I'm a father now, and, and now it's personal. It's not just theory, you know, the possibility that something could happen to my son. And, you know, they're, from the priests that are out there, to the local pervert, to the guy who's been indoctrinated by Satan's altar to all these different things. And this I mean, infuriates me. I think about Full House. People go look up Full House, go, uh, uh, you, know, uh, you know, just do some research on Full House, and, and it's just full of pedophilia symbology, and it turns out that, that whatever the, the lead actor, a comedian guy, was pervert, and hitting on the kids, and look at... It's just an absolute mess. I mean, the Saturnalia... Uh, worship. You look at all these famous uh, uh, the women's and uh, like the Madonna or Lady Gaga. Everyone, you know, it's all about Saturn and you know Satan. And and it's like well, everyone just sitting around going like a bunch of zombies. Oh well, wow! Look at that. That's amazing. I mean, nothing's being done about it. Nothing. Right, because we're they're under the spell. Yeah, and I mean it's really disturbing, and it's 
people are are so thoroughly and utterly brainwashed, we can't even see reality. We can't even accept reality. And so you start talking about pedophilia, that's just something that just, of all the things in the world, basically I'm a blue-collar guy, I don't know. Maybe both blue-collar guys maybe have a little different standard, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know, maybe I'm just probably not even a legitimate statement. But the fact of the matter is, is that I just don't understand how we passively just do nothing about it. I mean, we're all guilty. I clean myself. We're all guilty. Right. You know, and uh, just sickening. Just right. absolutely sickening about the degree. See, this is a fascinating, this whole story about Saturn is there's, a very interesting and puzzling past cosmology, and then there's today's. The past at least 3,000 years, if not longer. Of, and I just want to go back to something real fast just to think about this. So we talk about in, in the Bible how you know, uh, Satan, he fell like, like lightning from heaven to earth, Right. Now we look at this whole story, and you look at Ackerman's and others, you know, John Ackerman and others' story, you know, understanding about things. And we look at this whole thing about how, uh, you know, electric universe and how when those planets were all in line, there was like this uh, electromagnetism kind of uh, a positive negative reaction where I guess where the, the lower body, the smaller body received the, the higher or the the voltage, I'm not saying it right, but what I'm trying to say is, could have been at one time when that, when Saturn, Venus, and Mars were lined up with Earth, that's when Satan himself was ejected and thrown to this planet. And then that's when all hell broke loose. In the end, I can't prove that, I can't prove it biblically, but if you put start putting the pieces together, a possibility, a strong possibility, in fact. And, you know, it's, so you see these, uh, the cult of Saturn, the cult of Satan, and their whole obsession with Saturn, and getting back to Saturn, trying to recreate the past. Well, who of all entities or beings would want that most of all but Satan? Right. You know? Right. And these people, you know, because they're under the spell of Satan. I mean, I think there's a large percentage of them. They're just they're so perverse because they've been they're disconnected from God. They don't have the spirit of God in them, so they're left with their own perverted devices and their own lusts and desires, like Romans of one talks about. And so. Uh, you know, so they become these reprobates, they become these perverts, and they just get, but there, then there is the, the leadership that benefits from it, that really does practice these deliberate child sacrifices to appease the god of Saturn, Satan. And obviously they must know something themselves for them to be motivated to basically exploit hundreds of thousands of children and people, you know, young women and men, and uh, I don't understand it. 
you know, but I guess the grace of God go I because I just don't I don't understand the mentality. I don't understand the perverted twisted thinking, you know, even when I was a guy of the world and a womanized mother, I never was, ever could even You had your limits. Well, you know, there was just uh, the whole idea was just uh, repulsive, right? You know what I mean? It's just, it's just like uh, you didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't need to have a society discipline me and say, hey, you're not, that's not right. I mean, it's just Right. You know, it's common sense, you know. Like if you have any kind of moral fiber in you, you're going to go, no. But apparently with these folks, they don't. So if we look at today, if we look what's going on today and how they're ramping this up and they're bringing either a, a time in the past where it really was as evil as what we're seeing it or a evil distortion of that past. Since Satan can't have what he really wants, going to put it here, you know what I mean, and he's going to punish as, as many people as he possibly can, you know, like a giant spoiled brat type of thing, so, I don't know. Right. Well, there's, this goes on to this whole sexualization of children actually goes before that, and it, and it comes from an academic uh, background, uh, and this is, again, from Program to Kill. Uh, and it goes, many of these recent arguments in favor of the expression of child sexuality were influenced by the work of Indiana University professor Alfred Kinsey, who claimed in his notorious late 1940s, early 50s reports on human sexuality that children are sexual from birth. The professor was, oddly enough, another devoted disciple of Alistair Crowley. Uh, Kinsey's short died shortly after paying a visit to Crowley's Thelema Abbey in Sicily with filmmaker and fellow cultist Kenneth Anger, who was the roommate and probable lover of Manson family member Bobby Bouzelet. Uh But we'll get more into that later. And that's the end of the quote uh, for that paragraph. But then it, goes, it continues on, like child molestation and child abduction, child prostitution is also closely associated with child pornography. And make no mistake about it, child Prostitution is a booming business. A&E's investigative reports uh, has noted that law enforcement figures indicate that there are currently 600,000 child prostitutes working in the United States and Canada in an industry that generates $5 billion a year worldwide. A&E also reported that throughout North America, uh, there is a growing use of children in the sex trade. Young boys make up 51% of the trade. The FBI, alas, has turned a blind eye for the last quarter century. Federal prosecution of major pimp operations has virtually been non-existent. As Dr. Lois Lee noted, it's not a high priority within the FBI to go after kids that are being transported across state lines. It's a total disgrace. So, to your point, you know, this is not only a... Um, a problem within the the dark community, but we're also having ac academic uh, people who are supposedly supposed to represent the intellectual side of us are are pushing the agenda of uh, you know children as uh, sex objects and things of that nature. And also, this probably comes into the comments you made about the androgyny of 
the current uh, man, such as uh, Bruce or Caitlin, whatever you want to call him. Uh, there's others like David Bowie uh, that did it back in the 70s. That's probably the first prominent androgynous uh, celebrity. Then you have your your person like Marilyn Manson who came along uh, and as as a go between between those two. And there's, uh, I think, one of the comments in the in the chat box was that there's also the reverse where they're twisting females to be more like men. So it's there 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 is an agenda that that is afoot with all this. So and that would be um, Miley Cyrus and others like that. So. Right. Mm-hmm. Fascinating and, too about for me being a boy from Ohio. You got Marilyn Manson's from Ohio. And then you got the lead singer uh, Maynard from Tools, flat out Luciferian, and uh, from who's <laughs> from Ohio. <laughs> and he had a lot of uh, a lot of bad comes from out of Ohio. A lot of bad. I had no idea. And it ends up in in uh, California of all places. Imagine that. But you know, that's for another day, another show. But uh, it's just it's just rampant, and it's. It seems like the role of the corporation of the United States of America is multifold. One is to be the battering ram for Rome, to be the bully, to kind of do the mopping up and sweeping up of all these different things. Now, you know, I was thinking about the Crusades and about what we're reading and the studies and all that. And, you know, I talked about the Crusades against uh, Islam. And we have the modern wars and it's against, you know, uh, uh, Buddhism and Confucianism and uh, uh, Greek Orthodoxy and all that. And I was thinking about back to the Quetzalcoatl and uh, the Mayans. And it's clear what's happening. And the Bible talks about that uh, in Revelation 18 to 24, the very last verse, that this institution, this satanic system, uh, would be the responsible not only for the death of, uh, you know, the, this the prophets and the saints, but all that were slain upon the earth. And, of course, most Christians just don't seem to care about that last part, but we should, all the slain upon the earth. And we look at this, and it seems like one of the fascinating and disturbing aspects of history, and probably more in line with reality is, if you look at these different uh, empires, and at their base being satanic, and it looks like what Rome has done is rise to the top, is you know, uh, of the satanic world, and how it's did that. These crusades were really about them rising to the top, conquering their enemies, their potential satanic threats, the dark priests of uh, that may oppose them and, uh, and their power and authority. And whoever gets on top of this thing, this Saturnalian black magic death cult system, well, all the, in their minds, all the power and all the glory will be bestowed by Satan on them. And I don't know if you could see that, but if you look at when they invaded the Western Hemisphere and they took out the Mayas and the Incas, well, these Mayas and Incas were evil, wicked people. That's the truth of the matter is, especially at the top. These right. empires, I mean, they were practicing... The sacred arts, uh, arts uh, ceremony of 
and killing, you know, tens of thousands of millions of people in their temples and cutting out their hearts and feeding upon it and, and giving it to the god, uh, Saturn, yeah. sun god, and Lucifer. And, and people walk, as people walk up the pyramid to take it to, uh, to be sacrificed, yeah. Right, and so what happened was, uh, uh, as God foretold, Rome came in, the Roman Empire came in, uh, uh, because the dragon actually gave them the ultimate power to overcome all these, these different empires. And that's what we're really seeing throughout the world with all these wars, if that makes any sense. In other words, any potential threat to Rome is where you'll find a war. It's not a threat to to uh, the United States of America. It's not a threat to the uh, world economic system. It's not a threat to the bankers. Although the bankers and all these folks profiteer dearly from war, and there's no denying that, but who are they actually serving it? Whose behest are they actually serving? And it's clear what it is. What has happened is, just as the Bible stated, would the fourth and final empire would be Rome, and it would take over all these other empires. Now it would be it would not fully succeed. It, it, you know, we look at the Daniel's feet and the ten toys of miry clay and, and iron. It, 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 Rome will not have absolute success conquering the whole world. But as far as all the and we look at the ecumenical movement and how all these other their daughter churches and all these other churches are coming in line to the fold. Well, who are they actually coming in line to the fold to? They're coming in line and, and submitting themselves to who they recognize has Saturn's blessing, gifts, and power. That is wrong. And we are just cattle. We are just chattel, fodder for whatever. And when we see wars... It really does revolve around these Saturn death cults. Not only are they blood sacrifices, but these crusades are about Rome gaining more power. Where does it get its power from? It's not just, it's not just simply land mass and owning land and property and all that. It's taking over the priestcraft of that opposing power, empire, country, etc., and people don't and don't want to accept this. They can't fathom it. They don't understand this. But it's the truth that the spiritual always overrides the temporal. And if that doesn't make any sense, I'll, I'll clarify that. But in simple sense, it's the priestcraft, the those who wield the spiritual power, the, or in the case of Rome, witchcraft, the divination of, of channeling Satan and, and, and gaining his blessings, are the, they're the ones that actually rule the show. It's not, it's not a politician, it's not even a general, it's not armies. That's where it all comes from. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I don't hear enough of it. I don't. I don't hear enough of it from people. And people thought about because it's, it's such an important issue. If you could just simply understand that the spiritual always, always overrides the temporal, you'll understand. Your understanding of the world will be just 
that much more greater. The things were well, just falling under, away. Yeah, well, they're still under the spell. That's, right. you know, you know, that's uh, the best explanation for it as far as I'm concerned, you know. And here's the other thing. Yeah. We're talking about the pedophile thing and this whole thing about all these, like, 600,000 children uh, being used in these uh, as a, what's a, child trafficking and sex trade. Well, you know, the only defense that a family has, that a man has, is God. It's Jesus Christ. If you will not come to him, and this is not religion. This is not joining the Catholic Church because it's satanic. It isn't, and it's not joining the Methodist Church because, by the way, it's run by Satan. And it's not joining the Mormon Church because, by the way, Satan runs that too. And it's not joining the Buddhist Church or any church. It's coming to Christ. It's really falling on your face and believing in it, believing in Heavenly Father and in the name of His only Son. Ask His only Son to mediate for you. And have mercy on you and your family and your loved ones. Because no one else and nothing else at the end of the day is going to protect you. Period. And, you know, you look at Satan, the satanic system that we're under. You know what? It's not just the priestcraft. It's not just the politicians. But, by the way, it turns out to be, as you were talking about, no one will do anything, including the police. And that's because, at the end of the day, whether they know it or not, they serve Satan, too. And so, we're really, that's the stinking reality. Of, that's, just, that's the real truth of the matter. Right. I hate to sound like a religious fanatic, but I guess that's what I'm turning into. But at least my religion is not man-made religion. It's God's. <laughs> so, <laughs> but oh, you're like saying. Go ahead. You're seeing beyond the superficial, and then that's, you know, I when we were talking earlier, or we talked before, and I made the comment about the 1%, the, the 1% of the 1% that run this that run this world. Conversely, on the other side, there's the 1% of the 1% that understand what's going on, and then everything else is in between. Yeah, it's a fascinating thing, this whole thing about the Internet and this whole... Uh, it's clearly part of this Saturnalia satanic uh, psyops that's going on. But uh, you're waking up now. When did you wake up? We talked about this too, you know. And I've talked about this numerous times. And it's totally starting to. I'm starting to build a picture, clear picture, of what that means. What that means is, you know, the general, generally out there in the alternative media, the alternative world of uh, the internet. Waking up means that you're not woken up. You no. just bounce from one spectrum of the uh, delusion into another. But you will not accept. You will not accept the story of who Jesus Christ is, Yeshua the Messiah. You will not accept that. You cannot tolerate that. You won't tolerate that because maybe you're not one of his. Or maybe it's because, in reality, you like what you're seeing, really. You find it fun. You find it fascinating and interesting. And although I say those terms many times in my show, at the end of the day, the ultimate goal in all this is nothing but the truth. And it's not just about 
some Gnostic adventure where I'm just going to know everything about what's going on with, uh, with this group or that group, whatever. The solution, the solution is Jesus Christ. Sorry if people don't like it. Sorry if it offends you. Actually, let me rephrase that. I'm not sorry that it offends you. Tough. <laughs> At this point, right. when you just got through saying, you know, you know, if that article, if that normal, of course it said 600,000, you know, maybe... Yeah, basis metal with that number. Maybe it's seven hundred fifty thousand, or maybe it's only seventy-five thousand. If it's one in our country, in our boundaries of what we call the United States of America, this corporation, and we put up with that, you know what, people, we suck. We genuinely suck. Sorry, we all suck, and we, we should be ashamed to even be called human beings let alone, you know, followers of Jesus Christ. That we tolerate that? You know what I mean? That just, just irks with me. And, you know, of all right. the things that a human being can do, that just makes me better than hell. I'm sorry, I gave her I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, no, I mean, I mean, you know how bad it is when uh, you hear stories about pe- uh, pedophiles going to prison. And they have to be separated from the general population because if the general population found out what they were in prison for, they would get ripped apart. And so when you know that the quote-unquote dregs of humanity, according to the system that we live in, understand that that is just the absolute ultimate sin and that is unforgivable, you know, then that that should tell you something. Absolutely. So we're currently living in an age where I see a lot of promotion of Crowley, like oh he was a uh, getting back getting back to uh, Alice. Um, that that he was such a, a a free thinker or a person who threw off. The, uh, the shackles of uh, of restriction, and for those people out there that would ever come across this interview or this discussion, I mean, this is the kind of person that he was. And if you know, if there's people out there that hear this that think, "Oh, well, you guys are misinformed," well, you know what you just said. You need to have a, a checkup from the neck up. Anyway, so then McGowan goes. Around 1920, Crowley moved to Sicily, where he founded the Thelema Abbey, a site quickly become known for conducting satanic rituals, complete with animal sacrifices, bestiality, and blood drinking. The abbey also gained notoriety for being fraught with death and disease. Crowley's own infant son died there, as did others. As did others. At the time, Crowley was openly accused of infanticide and he never denied the charges. To the contrary, Crowley openly and rather flamboyantly reveled in the depravity. In the diary of a dope fiend, Crowley was a lifelong drug abuser of all types. He wrote that, I have driven myself to delight in dirty and disgusting debauches and to devour human excrement and human flesh. So this is the type of depravity that we're talking about, you know, as, as far as an individual who has such a influence on the culture that we live in today. 
you know, this, well, this is... My, including Alcoholics Anonymous. I used to be a member of it. A devout member of it for seven years until uh, God worked on me and convinced me that I was in the wrong place if I wanted to know him. And then I found out, what, a year and a half ago that the diary of drug scene, well, clearly it was Bill Wilson reading that and influenced him. And <laughs> That's where you got those coins, you know, with the round circle and the triangle in the middle. Okay, re- repeat that, that part again. I didn't quite catch that. Well, when you go to AA, you get these little, like, uh, coins. year. You know, if you've got a year, a month, or a year, or five years. And if you look at the AA symbol and their coins, these little tokens you get for to celebrate a year of sobriety, or five years, or ten years. Well, I found out that that was actually the same stuff that you find in the Book of Grimoires. And that uh, uh, Alistair Crowley's influence in Alcoholics Anonymous, it started to put a lot of the pieces together of how AA really works and why so many people in AA, especially where I come from, end up being Satanists, atheists, corrupted morally. They might not be drinking anymore, but morally they're very corrupt people. And people will say, well, they were always that way. Um, I wouldn't say that. There's no way of proving that one way or the other. Once the booze got, the hard booze got in them, and then you got to remember they were staring at the altar of Satan, that television. And the radio and all that music that we were listening to, and how many of that that music is all basically based on spells, and those rhythms are all designed to entertain you for real. Plus, you got this whole you know we got the <laughs> when I think of the drug trade and all the flood of the heroin in this country, and I think of the bushes and Barbara Bush and how she looks so much like Alistair Crowley. Uh, people don't realize the satanic attack that we are under. And unless somebody flat out explains to them, is flat out honest what it's really going on, and is and, and the an act of God and the Spirit of God works within them, they will never realize it. They will never understand the degree of attack that you're under how important it is to, to let go of the television, which is the Satan's altar, Satan's altar of mind control and deception. A, a weapon that was originally, one of his original purposes was channeling, and channeling spirits and seeing how they, they can be, be used as a spiritual weapon. And it certainly has. Then you go on the drugs. Alistair Crowley, big into the drugs. You know, big into sexual deviancy and perversion. And this just goes on and on. You've got abortion, which turns out to be really a form of a baby sacrifice. Why they push it so much? 
Heck, they're even putting the fetuses in your pop and in your food. Nobody cares. Nobody's doing a damn thing about it. Well, say, well, what, what, can we, what can we do about it? Well, first thing you do is start being honest about it and start really talking about it, but there's so few voices out there that are even talking about it. People that call themselves Christians don't have enough guts to talk about it. Maybe they are Christians. I'm sorry. What were you going to say? Um, is this topic? Well, so you throw on you throw on the abortion movement that's or the Roe v. Wade decision that that came in the 70s as uh, probably uh, offshoot of the quote unquote sexual liberation of people as also being part of that agenda. Um, that goes back to that Keynesian, um, uh, the, the Keynesian approach to sexuality is not having to deal with the, the consequence of having irresponsible sex, you know, of, of having a child that, you know, wasn't quote unquote planned for, you know, is also in that, in that realm of, uh, child sacrifice. And it, and it, and it is a child sacrifice. Because that child, that that uh, that child obviously didn't, uh, you know, initiate that that either that short term or long term relationship that that produced that fetus. So, I mean, I'm gonna tell you something personal. I, you know, uh, my my, I was married for 12 years. Met my ex-wife when I was a Mormon missionary, believe it or not. <laughs> and that's another story in itself. But, uh, anyways, uh, uh, we're first together and all that, you know. And I just like sixty percent of the guys who went on a Mormon mission. You just throw it away. You say this is all nonsense. There's no God. This is all rubbish. And I just says heck with that. So uh, with my dating my ex-wife and we're messing around and she got pregnant and she just chose to have an abortion. That was, how long ago was that? 20-something years ago now? That still haunts me today. That tears at my soul to know that I am responsible, that in some way First of all, if you just would have kept my pecker in my pants. Sorry for the language, folks, but that's how it is. If I just would have kept my... <laughs> if I just would have done what, what I was basically taught, and I knew better morally, but I wanted... She's attractive, you know, I'm a young man and all that kind of stuff. And, but, you know, to know that... For, and it plagues me all my life, to know that I am responsible... Felt the man of the day was her decision. There was nothing I could do because I live in a culture where that's the way it is. Uh, and this was in England back then, actually. It haunts my my soul all, all the time. Maybe that's another reason why I'm so. Uh, maybe that's another reason why I'm so fanatical to the point as far as being a father, extreme, compared to what most guys in my system would be. You know. And how important is this my son and how much I cherish him. So, But I'm telling you, uh, even if, if they talk about how it uh, destroys the woman, 
Well, if you're one of God's sons, it will haunt you for the rest of your life as well. Because he does, the Spirit of God gives you conscience. And he constantly reminds you that, yes, Mike, you're a sinner, and one of the parts of being a sinner is you're a murderer. You contributed to murder. You know? Right. I'm sorry about being honest, but that's what this show's about, nothing but the truth, and that's part of my story. And I'm telling you that this satanic ritual of abortions destroys so many lives spiritually, and people, they don't talk about that. They don't even talk about what it does to a man. You know that? Oh, and I know I'm not alone in this. There's many others who are like that. Yeah. So it's well, very, it's a very tough. This is a very tough show, and it's really stirring my soul, isn't it? <laughs> Starting to sound like Alex Jones almost the way I'm a passion. I get sorry, <laughs> but you know what I mean. It's <laughs> raising my voice and getting all set. I tell you. I mean, uh, I'm going to have that uh, Luke McKeon uh, again tomorrow. I think we talk about the pedophile ring out there in Australia and Asia and South Asia. It's just me. I, I don't want to deal with it like everyone else, but I know someone has to deal with it. Right. Someone has to man up and talk about this stuff because if you, if it's true that there's 600 thousand children being trafficked in right now. I mean, can you think of anything more stinking? Can you think of any any worse act of humanity? Well, and I, you know, I I tend to think that those figures are underreported. I believe you. Yeah, so it's, you know, that the problem is more prevalent. It's just you know, especially the people that we that we quote unquote trust to uh, protect us. You know, as far as the authorities uh, who turn a blind eye because the perpetrators are often uh, well connected uh, uh, people within either the law enforcement agencies themselves or they're well connected people within the political power structure slash economical economic power structure of the community, or even it goes up higher than that. Um, it, it's, it's, it's basically, uh, you know, a, a top-down, or it's basically a top-down uh, cult, you know, in a, in a, a top-down ring. If you were to watch those, if you were to watch those videos that we have up on, uh, on Think or Be Beaten under the, the White Slavery channel yeah. and, and watch those, you you'll get just a, probably a small glimpse of what goes on into those uh you know into those rings in in the uh the reaches of these uh these networked pedophiles and it's you know, Toledo I would, my town my town Toledo is notorious for it even CNN and all those other channels you know the uh, MSNBC and them were always bringing up Whenever uh, the newest uh, scandal of uh, child uh, trafficking happens in 
prostitution in Toledo because it's terrible here. It's really right. Is. Well, I think there, there's obviously there's levels, just like anything else, where the 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 low hanging fruit, like the Jared Fogles, uh, that that whole situation where he's a notable name. But on the pecking order of the pedophile network, he's he's on the, he's probably on the, on the bottom rung. All right. But you know, but they'll give up they'll give up a notable low level guy like that and like the, 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 that uh, guy over in, or the guy over in Britain, Jimmy Seville. They didn't give him up. I guess he, he, they just found out about him and he croaked. But you don't find out about the high end. People that are that are doing this sort of thing, and so my my conclusion is that the cultural aimings is for the low level street street person who's going to do this for God knows what reason why, but they're going to they're going to be the sacrifice. They're going to be the shield, you know. So that the the people that obviously are in the higher end can can keep doing what they're doing as long as uh, as there's a perceptible notion that there's quote unquote something being done about it. So that's that's why I think this whole cultural indoctrination about sexuality, especially sexuality with uh, um, younger people, is getting at. So because then you have cases. You know, like Franklin cover-up, and 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 uh, that go into the whole political machinery as far as this this type of activity. And you go into the Franklin cover-up, which is a, a book written. There's two two books. One was written by John DeCamp, the lawyer who was involved in the case, and the other one was by Nick Bryant. And I don't have a copy of the Nick Bryant book, so we'll have to go with the John DeCamp book. But I think there's a couple interesting things that are mentioned in relation to why Saturn is a part of this deal. And let's see. I will start out reading this passage right here. Okay, hang on a second here. This child, about two years ago, just fell to the ground at Christmas time. Everyone thinks that Christmas is such a wonderful time, and she confesses that she hates Christmas and she couldn't wait till everything was put away because all she could hear was babies crying. Christmas is that time when most babies die, and she covered her ears and cried for two and a half hours and screamed, Stop it, stop it, stop it. Talk to God and make him stop it. All she could hear is the screams and the babies crying. Christmas for children I have talked to has been one of the worst times. I have three children tell me about a very similar ceremony, and I will kind and I will kind of merge that and tell you what how it went. They were taken to a church, and all the children. Uh, they were taken to a church, and all the children. It is a very festive occasion, and they are taken to the front of the church, and a small child is brought in. Two of them of them talked about babies putting them uh two of them talked about babies and they put them on a platform the adults all celebrating and dancing and singing and 
and the children are getting into the spirit of it. And what they're doing is forming a circle around the child. And, of course, the child represents the child Jesus. And they began mocking and spitting and calling names. And then they encouraged the children to begin doing it. And you can imagine how it gets out of control. At, at some point, they hand all the children knives, and then they... Uh, and then they all are hacking and slashing until the baby is dead. And then they all celebrate because the child Jesus is dead. You know, I, it makes me think about, first of all, it's just disgusting, but it makes me think about the the, uh, the manger scene that you see all over the place, especially in front of Roman Catholic churches. You know the churches, the daughter churches. And people, you know, they complain about, you know, oh, the manger scene. I think it was Lansing, Michigan last year. And now they, they also had a satanic scene along with a baphomet. Could it possibly be that they're just, you know, with this externalization of the hierarchy, they're just now slowly exposing more and more of what really all this is about? Could it possibly be that they actually, because, you know, when you think about it, like three wise men, there's no three wise men in that story. In fact, that major scene, hardly anything of it is of the Bible. And there's no way to prove that that's, that's even Jesus, is it? Because why, first of all, we're not supposed to, as you did the study, and if you watched the last, you know, people should know, Especially this, uh, we 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 didn't even get to the point of uh, talking about the Sacred Heart thing and the eye, the icons yet, and uh, uh, the image of this who who is this person that everyone is assuming is Jesus. Well, if the image that everyone is seeing in all these different churches is not actually the true Messiah, what makes you think that that baby in that manger is actually the true Messiah? Now let's go back to what you just talked about. Could that really be what it's representing? I was thinking about that today, and I was like, you know, could even that have been a total deception and a lie? I know that's a hard one to swallow, folks, but you know what? Think about it. Especially as we get into that point, we're talking about the Sacred Heart Ceremony and how this hexagrammas and all these different churches, especially the Roman Catholic Church and the daughter churches. And these icons and the image, and how it's it's against the word of God to have any image of God of heaven, and that that image that you see of Jesus Christ, that androgynous, a feminized version, is not a God of all. It cannot be the true Messiah. And there's a mock. No. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that's, in, and that's brought up in uh, a video called. Uh, Saturn six six six, and uh, when you when you th- when you said Sacred Heart, there's a portion of the video where they show depictions of Jesus holding a heart, and there's also depictions of Jesus in the Baphomet pose, and there's also depictions of Jesus with with a halo around his head, which is a Saturnalian thing. With, with the you know with his head being the, the planet and the rings around his head, uh-huh. so all that all that iconography that uh, that we have been exposed to has been a deception. It's not it's not uh, 
you know, the real depiction. And we don't know, and we probably won't know, obviously we probably won't know what he physically looked like, but I don't think it really matters. It doesn't matter what he looked like. Well, I think it matters in a sense, uh, as far as actually, yeah, you're right. And ultimately, you know, except for one thing, understand that long-haired person that looks like a, like a cross between a man and a woman half the time, really a feminized looking person, really a pretty boy. Think it through. Just think it through. And his connections with androgyny and uh, and, and bafflements and uh, Saturn and this perversion and twisting of the image of Christ. It is clear this much in the scriptures and historically that we can figure out that the Jews, well, first of all, it's a shame for a man to wear long hair. And I can point out the scripture to you if you want. And uh, that person without long hair, holding those two fingers up, actually the three fingers, right? The middle and the index finger along the thumb that you see all the time. Yeah. That's not Jesus. That's not our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's somebody else. That's a false Messiah. That's a false Christ. That is an image, an antichrist image, a false representation. And it's really it's important for people to understand that if you have crosses in your house, you have pictures of Jesus, if you have anything like that, and you want to be a follower, you got to get rid of it. You really are going to have to get rid of it, especially after doing this study. I told you, I, you know, I found some stuff in, the, in my storage of a, a really cool geometric pattern that I did. And it turned out to be a cross, and then I found a, a clay cross that I made. It was really awesome. And I had to throw them out, so there's no way. I can't do it. This is That cross does not set, represent the truth of God. Especially when you see the image of uh, Quetzalcoatl with a cross. You see how you're talking about that video, and it, uh, you see this. <laughs> and then, you know, the image, the cross, and uh, all these just pagan images and false images of who God is. If you want to hear this, you're going to throw out that stuff, and you're going to say, you know, like I have, you know, God, remove them. All these lies, these false imagery, impressions in my mind have deceived me. When I see that face, always reminding me, God, that that's not you. And that it's not of you, so... It is the fact, and I know people will say, well, you're being really extreme, Mike, a little overboard about things, but, oh, well. <laughs> Especially when you study, have to do a study on this, the, the cult of Saturnalia. Yeah, you're like, and I did this before a couple times, but this time it really reached a little more to me because, you know, the show, you know, when you, you know, when you actually do something like this, you learn a lot more, you're forced to talk about it and teach a little of it, and you're like, well, it's really that bad. It really is that bad. I mean, all religions have the same uh, figure, this, this icon, this imagery of this 
person, this androgynous uh, person, you can't tell whether he's quite a man or woman or a woman with a beard or what. Uh, they even have the, you remember that, uh, did you see that video about that, uh, oh yeah, European uh, show, I think it's uh, not Dancing with the Stars, but American, a European Idol or whatever it is, and they had that that guy, that cross-dresser, the, the, the real pretty little boy with the beard, singing like belting away. I don't think to myself, you know what, it's just, it's so blatant in your face at this point of what they're doing. Right. And, but they've been doing it all along. The problem is we just been ignorant about it because the Shiva and the gods there in, in India look the same, and the gods everywhere look the same. They <laughs> have the same pose and the same iconography and that same uh, Saturnalian uh symbol of the hexagram, I mean, you'll find it in temples everywhere. And you have to yeah. ask yourself, is that just a Jesuit influence, or was that prior? I put my no. bet that most likely it was prior, because all organized religion across the board are Satan's creation. Yeah. Well, a couple of years ago, I attended a, fun- I attended a funeral. And this was a you know, we're we're talking about the children that are being the victims of this. This was actually a funeral for a, a three-year-old girl who who died of um, an epileptic seizure, and she was the daughter of a coworker. And, and so, um, as I'm as I'm sitting there and I'm I'm trying to hold it together, I look up at the stained glass window, and what do I happen to see? And, and by this time, I, I've I've known what we're talking about tonight. Right. And, and what do I see? I see the hexagram. And I think to myself, crap. Did I really need to see that? <laughs> you know. Yes, you did. And this, <laughs> and this, and this, you know, and this was in a Lutheran. This was in a Lutheran church. So, it, as you said, this is not just strictly a. A Catholic thing or or some other denomination. This is a uh, a pervasive cultural thing, and it's you know for people that know it's it's I don't know. It, I I found it pretty disheartening to you know be in that situation and and to see that it's just it it, oh, it didn't yeah. do do well for my spirit at that time. So it's anyway, like me being. Being an ex-Mormon and going through the temple and then finding out later and never seeing it until somebody pouring it out afterwards. If you got the inverted uh, pentagram and the hexagram on the temple walls, and no one ever pointed that one out to us. No, not the not the priestcraft, not the high priest, not the bishopric, not the supposed holders of the Melchizedek priesthood, which is blasphemy in itself. No, it's fascinating. Well, I look back at my life, and I was cured and prepped to become basically a, a low-grade witch through Mormon, the Mormon faith. I go on a mission running around in my black suit with my badge, 
with my partner. By the way, one of my partners sent him to be the son of Senator Hatch. Had a fun time there. <laughs> we only lasted a month together as a partner, as a companions, because, well, I made him cry. I told him off, and he just started crying. <laughs> so, 20-something-year-old man crying. But anyways, um, you know, it was basically this what we were, just a couple of witches running around uh, teaching our false doctrines and trying to convert other people into this just just uh how do I describe Mormons except that it's flat out Luciferian. It's you know, you, when you bring up that there was a documentary on Discovery Channel, so you can take it with a grain of salt and you know I guess uh you know, reserve uh, reserve uh, skepticism, but within the Mormon Church, there was a, a a man who basically conned the head of the Mormon Church into buying these quote unquote sacred uh, sacred uh, documents, scrolls, and things of that nature. And I can't remember Salem his name. The Salamander letters. Uh. Let me try to do a Google real quick here. What are you talking about the salamander letters? Uh... The Mormon Church has been responsible, have been contributing members to so much deception, whether it's NASA, whether it's all these false archaeological evidence that they created, these... Yeah. Throughout the, North the, America, just the lies and destroying of the, the people's faith, the, the Bible, the Word of God, putting people's faith in a book called the Book of Mormon, where there's not one, you can't find one archaeological piece of evidence to support it. Not one. Right. The, the man who... Go ahead. The man who who pulled off the uh, the con was named Mark William Hoffman, and as I said, there was a there was a discovery documentary done on this, and basically counterfeiter forger, and, and also he actually he had, he committed murder to try to cover his tracks. Uh, let's see, he he constructed bombs to murder two people in Salt Lake. Uh, one was an intended hit, and the other one was a uh, a diversion. Anyways, so the Anthean transcript, or Anthon transcript, is that what you're, is that what you said earlier? Uh, I call them, the, I know them as the Salamander letters, but it doesn't matter. I don't know if they're the same thing or not, but uh, I have yeah. to do my research again, because I haven't already done much research. It's been a well, while yeah. since I've well, yeah, the Salamander letter is here. Uh, Joseph Smith's third blessing, and then Anthem transcript forgery. So he, uh, so basically, he conned okay. the Mormon Church, you know, in in thinking that these articles were real, <laughs> you know, and they and they purchased them, and they they brought them into the church as being, you know, authentic and. So when you when you said that uh what you said about the Mormon church that that uh, bell went off in my head about that uh 
that documentary I happened to see. That oh yeah. I I I think the reason why the the, the priestcraft does not want the regular part parishioners to know what they what the, what's really behind the scenes is because it's all about money. And it's all about you know keeping them in a in a in a lifestyle you know part of it is keeping them in a lifestyle where they don't have to go out and get a, a real you know a regular job you know i mean obviously you have the, the televangelists uh, you know especially back in the in the in the 80s and 90s that were famous for getting busted for you know having these over the top lifestyles and then you know being busted for you know doing the same thing or if worse than uh you know than a regular person like uh you know you know your jim baker your jerry uh, not jerry Falwell, but what's jim baker comes to mind right away uh jimmy swaggart and all those type of guys you know and basically they're they're snake oil salesmen you know but you know people get swept up in the con but it's you know for them you know, it's a combination of money, which if you look at, the, you know, obviously if you look at the, the occult symbolism of the dollar, of the United States dollar, you know, it has an invert, it has the hexagram on it and, and all that kind of business. So, I mean, that... And, and, and the inverted pentagram as well. So, you're right. Both of them. And uh, ultimately, the money really is just a symbol and an avenue of power and unfortunately, most uh, psychopaths, uh, you know, what does power mean to them? Well, they can get away just about anything they want to. Right. Well, you know, you know speak, speaking of which and speaking of uh, top TV, uh, we just also posted up a link to the Clinton Chronicles. And the Clinton Chronicles uh, goes into the story behind the uh, the Clintons and their connection with uh, drug running from South America that are, that is linked to the infamous character Pablo Escobar, who uh, who flooded this country with uh, cocaine back in the uh, uh, early to mid '80s and, and basically uh, destroyed you know a lot of people's lives through the uh, the manufacturing of that cocaine, but Bill Clinton uh, played a big central part of that in far as uh, he allowed the importation of drugs through Mena, uh, Mena, Arkansas, the Mena Airport, the Mena, Arkansas Airport. Uh, so he accumulated his political power through drugs, which he's not the first modern politician to do that. There's also the uh, Bush clan that, that uh, has that claim to fame, too. Um, but also, Mr. Clinton's proclivity for trying to bone every female uh, who, who, within his eyesight, you know, it was brought up in that documentary. And when we're talking about before how uh, authorities turn a blind eye to child, you know, child pedophilia and stuff, even turn a uh-huh. blind eye a politician who's trying to stop an unwilling female because then you have the case of uh, Paula Jones who sued Mr. Clinton 
you know, for sexual harassment. You know, she was one of the few females that actually didn't find uh, a tryst with Slick Willie to be, uh, you know, a good idea. Uh, so she was blackballed and maligned. And then when you had people come forward to validate that story, they were also uh, quashed as far as the, the press coverage. And then also they were slandered in the paper and things of that nature. So uh, that's an interesting uh, person to uh, keep just, you know, his idea was, you know, it, the video made the point that it wasn't just strictly about the money because he actually, according to the video, didn't make a lot of money. He, he got off on the power of doing doing those things for his quote-unquote connected friends, and then he also got off on the sexual power of boning people because I guess he just, you know, he was, uh, uh, you know, legendary as far Yeah. I mean, it's, it goes, so it's. It goes back to that one character. That I can't remember which one it was that you read earlier during this this uh, show uh, uh, of how he loved to just loved his ability to manipulate people, and that he got off of manipulating people. And it's the same thing here. What Paul yeah, really right. is about is is how you can manipulate and control others, and. Uh, then you look at uh, also with you know I have to bring this up because this is what I you know you know I focus a lot on Rome the Jesuits. Well, he was a he grew you know he was a, a, a Demolay Demolay. Um, he was tutored and uh, reared in Georgetown University, and this is prior to becoming governor. So the reason why he probably in the end of the day being governor was a combination of the fact that if his connections, because he was told that if he wanted to rise in politics and power, that he should go to Georgetown. And he talks about, you know, uh, Quigley and, uh, you know, tragedy and hope and all that jazz. Of course, Quigley turned out to be a Jesuit, too, so we know what the heck, you know. Until you only get the story, yeah. And so, um, yeah, so, you know, you got this guy, he's basically... I mean, I hate to say this, but it, it's true. Uh, you know, if you're raised, reared in, uh, you know, Demolay, which of course is Freemasonry, but is approved by the Roman, sanctioned by Roman Catholicism, but not, and then you're then educated by the Jesuits. Um, so you know, and. You already have a little bit of a twisted morality to begin with. We all do, anyway, to some level. So, I mean, Bill Clinton didn't have a chance in hell. He was one of the perfect stooges and tools of the for them, you know, and uh, that's who he is. That's all any of these guys are, and they call presidents and these politicians. And uh, he was so corrupted and so... Uh, easily himself manipulated control that he was perfect. And, you know, so there's there's the other side of that story. There's a side of him wanting power, but then there was power using him. That makes sense. So Bill Clinton no. is, uh, he's kind of a, well, he's definitely a sleazeball, but my uh, name of president, it wasn't. Right. <laughs> or a governor. 
or <laughs> uh, top level policy. Yeah. <laughs> so and and it is an important connection because if you look at today and what's going on, all the power it does it it, it generates generate through Rome. Rome, its priest class, are, are they are uh, the priest of Saturn, the priest of Satan, of Lucifer. I mean, have you ever asked yourself why so many of these guys were dressed in black? Or, uh, you know, whether it's the uh, 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 priests or the Jesuits or and uh, could be the Eastern Orthodox Church or the... Um, the rabbis or that black cue that they put on their heads as they're basically headbutting the wall. Not only headbutting the wall, but let's get real honest about it. They're they are publicly thrusting themselves at the wall. Right. I don't know if you read any research about that. I'm not being a jerk about it. Uh, that's just literally. Almost work, I think they're almost working themselves into a trance state by doing that. Right. Which is really biblical and scriptural, and it's really uh, probably not a good idea. But, you know, you and I, I mean, I, I don't know, if, you know, I grew up with music and rock music, and that's what a rock show was, right? I remember going to go see Rush. You know, Rush is from my neck of the woods. But I turned out later to realize that they were Satanists and Freemasons, but I didn't know that at the time. I was just a young kid, dumb kid, and I just thought they were just you know, whatever, you just don't know. You know, The music's great, and that's all that matters. But you go to a, a Russ concert, and that's what it is. And I remember everyone at, with the sports arena at the time, and uh, just the, the arena way, that little building weighing back and forth as everybody was pounding their feet and their fists and their heads and putting themselves in a trance. And I find it fascinating now, looking back of what so much of what a quote-unquote good time was, was really about that, wasn't it? Right. Putting yourself yeah, in well, trance. Well, but I know that, especially with certain genres of music, like um, like thrash metal is infamous for having you know, crowds do a you know a, a synchronized you know almost like a synchronized dance in the crowd you know things of that nature. So obviously, uh, a, a, a big change from the, uh, the the early 50s when uh, when parents were freaked out about the demonic uh, uh, the demonic music scene back then, and then you compare it to what's going on now. I mean, it, maybe they had, I'm pretty sure they had a point. And if they were to see what it had evolved into, you know, they probably would just shake their head. And, so. And a story about Elvis Presley himself and all those things about how his connections with James Dean and James Dean's lover and how the, the handler of Elvis Presley, well... They can encourage him to become a bisexual and, uh, folk, you know, they're, where was one of the quotes? I can't remember now. But they were concerned that he was going to impregnate too many girls. So, 
they, they, they convinced him to, to think of a man, and most people don't realize that Elvis Presley was a sex, turned into a sexual deviant as well. Seems to be the common theme for a lot of uh, what comes out of Hollywood, and uh, so uh, yeah. So you look at this this whole uh, Saturnalian cult, the cult of Saturn, and what it does it do to a human being? Um, and some, you know, become demon possessed. Is it? Uh, is it become delusional? Is it? Self-delusional, self-importance to be of God, to become like God. Go back to this, 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 the, um, oh, uh, what do they call that? The uh, heart sacrifice, what do they call that again? The um, sacred art ceremony. And how, how necessary it is to destroy corrupt but of course, it talks about how the in the Bible how the heart is uh, most is de- deceivable of all things, and so we can't trust ourselves in that. But if we look at it, uh, what's the motive behind all this? Why were they so? Because it apparently, for the, if you look at the imagery that's on Roman Catholic churches everywhere, heart Jesus holding that heart, a literal heart. Images of icons of Jesus holding a heart with knives and daggers in it, um, along with the bafflements, you know, as above, so below, uh, as you know, as in heavens, so on earth, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, it's pretty sick perversion, and and people. Don't recognize it. Don't see it. And if you look at, at all these major wars, now we don't. A lot of times we spend a lot of time kind of like figuring out the chessboard element of it. What the strategies? Who's going? Who? What countries are going to be like dominated, toppled, etc.? Albert Pike and the Third World War and all that kind of stuff. But somehow we always seem to miss or negate or neglect, maybe it's because we don't really want to believe it, that these wars are really just that. They're not, they're, they're uh, wars against the high priests. Who's going to be the head honcho for Satan? And it's basically just a blood sacrifice. Period. And you hear over and over again. I mean, there's pictures and videos out there of uh, they call they say it's it ISIS and probably is. I mean, there's you know, ISIS horse set, the symbol of the Jesuits, of the high priest of Satan, the Society of Satan. Who's to say just because these guys look Islamic, Mediterranean, or from you know Arabic, that they're not part of the satanic class. I mean, what possesses a man, you hear this all the time, over and over, war after war of men cutting out people's hearts, eating them. I mean, it's not just fantasy. It's not just no. extortion of, of, of uh, or uh, just mind control and just trying to freak people out. It's literally happening. 
to this day. So, right. I would, uh, I would say getting back to why this is not that this is such a taboo subject to talk about as far as not taboo, but the, the, the mainstream press and your political figures will not talk about it because they're protecting the, 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 the networks that are doing this. And to give an example as to how much these people will go to keep the secrets of the higher-end people and give us the low-hanging fish like the Jared Fogles of the world. You have to go to Stanley Kubrick in the movie Eyes Wide Shut. And that movie is basically laying out the way these people operate as far as um, that that idea of having sexual power or having power, period, over people. And uh, ironically enough, that film takes place at Christmas time. And then it also goes into, you know, subtly it goes into a a bunch of different ideas, and one of them is uh, the child uh, sex trade because there is a scene where an underage girl is asked, uh, I think the doctor, played by Tom Cruise, if he wants, you know, if he wants something, wink, wink. And then the father, father slash pimp, is waiting there to find out if, if, if he's going to have a transaction. And the reason why I say that it's, it's for people to have guts to do that is because if you bring that out in a public scenario, like a public figure would, most chances are they will get, they'll get killed. Sure. In short, and and actually, uh, you can look this up online, and I I know it's been discussed by people like Jay Weidner. Is that Kubrick gave finished the final print of the movie, and then he died like four or five days later. And his death was 666 days before, I think, the 40th anniversary of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Hmm. I doubt doubt that was coincidence. (laughs) Right. Oh, my. Yeah. You know, I, I really there is no other protection. There is no other protection but Jesus Christ and have an abiding faith in him. That's it. Believe. If you don't ask for him. Right. And even then Absolutely. and even then you get the mercy of God whether or not you if you have another day. But I'd rather have them be at the mercy of the true and living God than these Luciferians. Satanist. So, um, yeah, we haven't even talked about the eye, the uh, southern pole of Saturn, and how that is allegedly is an eye, and how that you got the eye in that triangle that you see all over, in particular, uh, many different temples, but uh, 
on the top uh, of the pyramid of the dollar bill, the eye of providence. Uh, right. And then the, uh, many uh, a Catholic cathedral and the Jesuits, especially those who are called by the Jesuits, a lot of Tupper uh, Saucy says that uh, it's really a symbol of the, is it the Jesu, the, the Jezai or the Jesus or whatever, Jesu or something like that. And that basically it's the Old Testament version or name for the Jesuits. So, uh, you know, whatever it may be, the fact of the matter is it's found everywhere. That eye in the triangle is found everywhere. Well, yeah. And from Hollywood, from right. Hollywood to uh, all these, uh, where there's the Buddhist temples, Hindu temples, Shinto temples, uh, everywhere. Uh, Eastern Orthodox. That was fascinating. Eastern Orthodox, they, uh, they, they're, they're uh, monstrous. And they have the two serpents meeting at the palace that you would find on Baphomet. <laughs> did, you, did you see, remember that image? Did you see that? Did you recall that? The, 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 the uh, the bishop, or what do they call it? The uh, the priestcraft in the Eastern Orthodox Church. They call them, I guess, I can't remember. They call the ministers, uh, uh, fathers. I guess I know they're called fathers. So, <clears throat> but they're monstrous. They have two serpents uh, connected, uh, many of them, by the uh, the phallic symbol. They're walking around blessing people with that in their 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 churches. It's very hard disheartening, isn't it, to do the study, <laughs> to know how deceitful um, even even the priest, even your priest, your reverend, your pastor, um, whether knowingly or unknowingly, are. The bishop. It's it's really it's quite tragic because, um, but yet, um, uh, remarkable and amazing because it's the message once again is you know what man's fallen and there really is no man organization to fall on. For truth and true security, and that the only person we can count on, I've come to realize, uh, is Jesus Christ, Yeshua the Messiah, the the true Messiah, the the true only begotten, the one who came in the flesh, paid for our sins, rose from the dead. So. I'm sorry if I sound like a, a novice, enthusiastic Christian, but unless somebody can give me a better answer, uh, that's what I'm sticking with. And so far, I'm 47 years old, and no one's given me a better answer. So, no, that's like a way to wrap it up. <laughs> it is. And you know what? I hope we do this again. I do. I think uh, I do this a couple times, and uh, I think 
uh, if, if you're interested, um, any, any little kinks that you may feel or have or I have, it will work out. I think we have a lot to share. So, and it's important to talk about these things. These and you know um, the the issues and matters that uh, are uncomfortable, but are a reality. And uh, with my hope, my prayer is that the ultimate goal in all this, once again, as it leads to anyone who's listening to this or will listen to this show, uh, to Christ, to Jesus Christ. And uh, it's a good place to be. And what's cool about it all, too, is I realize it has nothing to do with religion. This show should make it very clear to folks, at least the starting of a decent foundation and why. You don't put your faith in organized religion or in politics or in the story of the quote-unquote founding fathers called the man father uh, or what you believe is a, uh, the history of uh, quote-unquote America, the United States of America. You'd be better off really Walk in this world alone with the faith, abiding faith in Jesus Christ. You really are all It can feel lonely at times, but really it's not that lonely. <laughs> I can tell you one thing, you know, I know where, you know, I've been in, uh, I've been in long-term relationships with women that I, that felt a heck of a lot more lonely <laughs> in those situations, so. A heck of a lot more lonelier. So, well, is there anything else you'd like to say in closing, um, Ashu? Uh, well, I think you've pretty much summarized everything quite well. Uh, just, you know, we could probably go on about this. About, you know, I mean, I think we. We, we pretty much stated everything that we need to state. I mean, there's obviously other cases like the Jean Benet Ramsey case, which I think ties into, you know, this is another, that's another high-profile example of the, these type of people who abuse uh, young children for for some for their sick, warped reasons, um, and the the cover-up that goes on to keep that, you know, from coming out. I'll just leave it at that. Um, and basically what you said about, you know, we said earlier about becoming awake and, you know, when we talked, you know, a few days ago, I told you that I think that that expression is kind of, you know, a hackneyed uh, patriot idiot type of thing to say because, you know, you're just... You know, you're one level awake. You're not. You're not down in the in the basement, you know, so to speak. Uh, you're just, uh, or you're not. Your 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 level of understanding of how things really work is at at the at the uh, servant's door, and you're not at the penthouse. And so, um, the best way to put it is, you know, once you become aware that the things that are wrong and, and then you have to ask yourself and be honest as to you know 
why are they wrong and try and, and try to find out for yourself why are they wrong and just keep going until you're satisfied with i have no i i've exhausted all my all, you know all the avenues that could possibly be and and i've reached the the, the conclusion of of its finality and so I I don't I don't refer to myself as being awake. I I refer to myself as I'm repro I reprogrammed myself. I found out that my programming was wrong. I started to I started to reprogram myself. And being the key term that I I did it myself and I didn't have to rely on you know a uh, patriot a patriot messiah such as. Uh, the Alex Jones type uh, charlatans that are out there. Although that's where I started, but I got off the ship. <laughs> uh, sometimes I think that's necessary. Uh, you got to see the uh, the wrong to see the right. You got to see the evil to see the good. To recognize right. You no. Know? Well. He, uh, I'll shoot to stay on. Uh, please don't hang up on me. Uh, but we're going to end the recording, and uh, we'll talk for a couple minutes. Uh, once again, this Mashu, uh I'm called the webmaster of, of uh, com. I think he's been a very generous man and very generous of his time to share this evening. Uh, three hours and 40, almost 45 minutes. <laughs> so that's cool, man. And, uh, and I, I had the impression, Mashu, that you thought maybe that uh, we might not be able to pull it off or have enough to say. Well, turns out we didn't have enough time to say what we needed to say. <laughs> so, funny how that worked. Uh, but anyways, it's thinkofraybeaten.com. You can find a lot of uh, great stuff. Once again, you know, Keith Hansen's uh, archives, uh, Gordon Constance's work and his uh, readings, the interviews between the two. You got I Man, you got James Montgomery, you got Eric the Blacksmith, uh, you got a lot of interesting uh, and very useful and informative information, books, uh, you got T O B B television and and more. So it's uh a definite must for anybody in the future, for anybody in this chat room who doesn't know about thinkabbeaten.com to go to. You're making a grave mistake and error if you don't, my opinion. And uh, I'd love to have someone prove me wrong because you won't be able to. But you'll learn a lot in the process trying to. So with that, I would like to say God bless and take care, folks. We're going to recording now. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.